Oh gosh, what's the what's the platform that a lot of the kids stream music on? Spotify. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a startup Spotify competitor. Basically, you're sounding really old. What are they just? These kids are using <laughs> this thing. And- <laughs> nice. It's like, um, oh shit! I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> something good too. Welcome, everybody, to episode 31 of the Triple P. My name is Scott Gentry. As usual, I am joined by a great group of friends who are also all amazing modelers. Ivan Jensen-Taylor, Doug Smith, John Bonani, and TJ Holler. Uh, Ivan could not join us at this time, so it'll just be John, Doug, and TJ. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I'm good. I, I just drove across the country, so I'm, I'm super excited to be here. How, how was the trip? Uh, not bad. You know, two days broken up and no podcast listening. My wife, uh, you know, we listen to classic rock and, uh, you know, Metallica and a few other things, but no podcast. So I got a lot of catching up to do, um, but it was good. We made it on time and happy to be here to talk with our special guest too. Yeah. Joining us in the special, uh, I believe, uh, Chris Sieber last time called it the Jim Bates seat. Uh, we have Steve Munsell. Uh, CEO and president and uh, chief executive everything from Value Gear. Steve, welcome to the show. Hey guys, glad to be here. So Doug, what have you been up to? Well, trying to get heat in my basement because now it's getting really cold. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. But I have been modeling. Um, also have our sixth grandchild arrive, which I'm ha- proud to say middle name, Abrams. And nice. yes, it is in reference to the tank. <laughs> Abram was a family name of my daughter-in-law. My son insisted on tacking the S on the end. So, yeah. TJ, what have you been up to? Build models, I guess. I mean, it's pretty much all I ever do. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I guess I can talk about it now. I, I think since the last time we recorded, which was thrown off a week because of uh, John's move, I think I've I've done three models. I've completed, started and completed three projects, which has been pretty cool. Um, some like different stuff that I have never done before. So it was, it's been really fun. What's going on down in Flagstaff, Steve? Nothing's starting to get cold. Garden's finally dying, so I don't have to water it anymore. I just spent the last month making a whole bunch of masters for uh, for the German 116th stuff. Yeah, for that new stew. Got some sets uh, re- getting ready for that. Yeah, I got and, uh, old, old Andy breathing down my neck. He's ready to go, man. <laughs> so he's like, chop, chop, come on. So I'm going to meet him tomorrow and give him a bunch of sets. I got to take pictures of him and put it online. Are you guys meeting halfway or are you going to a store? I'm going to go to a store. I got to pick my wife up at the Phoenix airport. Oh, nice. Just do me a favor. Steal one of those stugs he has behind the counter. Yeah. I will pay you handsomely I for it. I will not. I'm an honest man. <laughs> <laughs> you can be honest about it. You can tell him I'm taking it. You pay, pay me more than $100. $100 is a pretty good deal. 
I'll give you a hundred bucks right now. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I'm jealous. He has a great store. Yeah, it's it's it, that is one of the best hobby shops I've been in. I mean, you know, there's 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 a couple I've been to that have been pretty amazing. But growing up, like the stores I had in town, they were just Hobby Town USA's, and you know, there'd be like five kits to choose from, two Verlinden sets. You know, I would just buy whatever they had because that's what they had. It's nice to go to Andy's. I mean, I don't even know what to buy. Yeah, he's got he's got stacks on deck there. It's crazy. Yeah, so I've been gathering up uh, Skyhawk references and kits for the Model Geeks group build. I'm going to be uh, participating in that. And I built a Tamiya Achilles turret from a spare kit I had and sent that to our good friend Steve here to do some masters for. Oh, snap. Steve, he roped you into something. You can't let him sweet talk you. That's no, how no. it got all us. All no, us it, it's 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 how I allow myself <laughs> to get forced into finishing stuff. Like because I've had like U- UK Commonwealth packs on my packaging for like eight years now or something, and I still haven't ever finished them. So now I have to finish them. False advertising. Then you got to get on it. Not false advertising. Just getting the most out of my printing, man. <laughs> <laughs> This was de- this was definitely along the lines of me doing Steve a solid. He's done so many for us; it was the least I could do. But this gives me, you know, I, I, I'm I'm just too lazy to go buy the kit. I don't want to buy like a whole kit just a half, kind of put it together and throw it in the pile of hoopties I got. I never get to finish anything. I just half build it, and then it kind of gets destroyed a little bit, then sits on the shelf forever. Scott, would you count that as a finished kit for you? That turret. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's out the door. There you go. <laughs> it's catch done. Up, catch up to me, Scott. <laughs> yeah, right. So going back, I, I want. I mean, Steve, I don't think I know anyone that you haven't done a solid for. Hell, the first day I met you, you bought me a milkshake at Denny's. I mean, on our first date, practically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think you'd have to search really far and hard to find somebody that uh, truly hates me. <laughs> i don't know i i just live by i live life by one rule you know don't be a dick that's a good rule that's, that is the a good rule, rule. I, got, I got more i got more of my I, my daughter gets tired of it but i'm like oh yeah rule number one never ride an animal big enough to trample you you know rule number one <laughs> don't be a dick rule number one you know rule number one give free stuff the older i get the less funny i am you certainly had a lot of friends at nats i think I think I couldn't, I stopped count for how many times that you'd walk away and they're like, Hey man, is where's, where's the guy who runs this? Where's, is it the same Steve? Where's he at? I got to meet him. Like he gave me a box full of free stuff when I ordered something from him. I got to thank him. Yeah. Yeah. I like giving people little goodie bags. Like, you know, in the bottoms of molds, I just add extra tarps and crates and stuff and I throw them into a big bin and then I just give them a little baggie of samples. It's like the, the breaking bad business model. You know, you get them. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Steve is one of those guys you have to reverse negotiate with. Yeah. Like when we're when we're at Nats packing up to go, I handed him some money for a a couple of one sixteenth scale resin sets. He just starts handing me stuff. I'm like, no, no, dude, no, stop I, giving me stuff. I don't know. It, you know, it's just stuff, and I make it. I can I can make more. It's not you know, it's not a big deal all the time. You know, like, I mean, TJ placed a little order with me, and since he's kind of in the family, I sent him a huge pack back. So, you know, he spent like 20 bucks, and I sent him like a, I don't know, is a pound or two. 
Well, well, at Nats, it was brilliant. You kind of had the grab box right there and people would walk by. And I think we had to remind, we remind, at least I reminded a bunch of people like, you know, these are free. Go ahead and take them. They're like, what? They're free. I can, I can take this. Yeah. Yeah. Steve wants to give you samples. He wants you to see his his stuff. It's like a candy basket. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. It's, um, I don't know. You know, it's, it's easy to be nice. So be nice. You know, if you're nice to people and I mean, I don't advertise, I don't, do anything like my customers. I mean, I just rope them into being my sales force and, and everybody does it. Yeah. You know, they're happy it to works. talk about the things they're doing and working on. I mean, look at your minister of propaganda, Mike. He's he's making you, you know, keychains, business yeah. cards, like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He says yeah. hi by the way. I just texted him. <laughs> yeah, n- yeah, next time I'm on here, we'll have to get him on there too so he can uh keep me keep me in line and take notes for me. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, Mike, Mike's one of the guys like my friend Pat's real good about it too. And in Dublin, you know, when I don't make a lot of mistakes, I mean, I work all alone. I'm a one man show and, you know, but I, I can, I can switch a set here and there, or I can miss a big air bubble or something. And, you know, but if they see somebody talking about it online, like I get a message like that, you know, it's just like, Hey, this guy's got a problem. And it comes from Mike or Pat or somebody. I mean, I got a lot of people that are protective of me and, you know, I contact a person and I make it right. You know, I send them, send them some goodies and, and, you know, it just happened recently. I'd, I'd missed, uh, switched like Sherman set 13 with 15 and had sent some to uh, fields of glory in the UK and a guy in the Jersey islands bottom bought one and, uh, it was the wrong one, you know? And so he said something about it online that he got the wrong thing. And so we worked it out and fields of glory sent him a couple extra sets and he was super stoked and we made a friend out of the deal and, you know, the guy's got an awesome YouTube channel doing cool stuff and it, it's just awesome. You know, I mean, if you handle a mistake properly, everybody's happy. That's great. Well, that's just good customer service. Everybody makes mistakes, but it's the ones that that own up to it and make it right that get the reputation for being good guys. Yeah, exactly. You know, for the, the listeners out there, uh, I think, John, you, you, had, you knew Steve beforehand, right? Or, or is that when you met him for the first time was at just- Nats? Just a little bit. Uh, I really, we became best friends over a milkshake at Denny's at you know midnight uh, on a we weeknight in Vegas. We are not. <laughs> <of this. laughs> you you had two straws and oh yeah. And, we and Mike was there as our arbiter. He was our chaperone. We had three straws actually. <laughs> you gave us that table and we hung out with you and you know in fifteen minutes I swear we all. We all felt like we'd known you forever, so yeah, that really, was cool. Really appreciate it. Well, yeah, until, it was a lot of fun. Until Doug went around the other side of the table, and then I, I didn't recognize him because he, <laughs> he went around. And he was like trying to, you know, trying to pick out some one forty eight stuff, and I was like, it just, <laughs> you know, I was losing my mind by the end of it. It's when he good. was behind the table, we were all best friends. He got on the other side of the table, and I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, uh, what October fifteenth? The rooms drop in Omaha, so we got to get them. Embassy Suites. Well, I might have a dilemma because oh, my wife has taken a bunch of students to study abroad in Dublin for a month. Yeah, she needs a co buddy, somebody to help scurry, oh. scurry these kids around, and happens to be at the same time. So I got to discuss this with her. Maybe we swing uh, Mike, the Minister of Propaganda, into your Chief of you know Operations role, yeah. and uh, you know we can we can run the vendor table for you. 
I've been coming up with crazy ideas. I'm like, okay, I load up all the stuff in the truck and I drive it and I park it at John's house and I give him the key in case he needs to go get some <laughs> landscape materials. And then I fly, back, I fly back and I show up in Denver and then drive the truck to Omaha, wherever the hell that is. And then, uh, do the show. And then I don't know what the hell would happen after that, but get back. To we'll Ireland. make it work. We'll get, we'll, we'll get, <laughs> yeah. we'll get it. We'll get you your truck back one way, shape or form. But no, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I, I don't know if she can move the dates. It's, it's nothing's yeah. booked, like quite booked yet. So I'm trying to see if we mm-hmm. can, I don't know. I'll talk to her tomorrow and we'll, uh, we'll see what we can. Cause I'd like nice. to, do, I'd like to do both. I wouldn't mind being in Dublin again for, for a month and see all my friends. Oh, I'd, that'd be great. But if I go to Omaha, then, you know, there's enough years behind value gear now that people, people come looking for me. And that's really awesome. Instead of going, yeah, maybe I'll try one set. You know, they come to me with, and they pick up handfuls of stuff and they're like, how much? Awesome. <laughs> oh, it's great, man. That's a, that's the kind of experience you want. You want yep. people coming and say hi to you, talking to you. It's, it's, a, it's more than a transaction. It's, you know, it's a customer relationship. They're not even yeah. customers. Exactly. They're friends like what we're doing right now. Exactly. So it's awesome. And it's all about the community. That's right. All right. So, so listeners, we're going to rewind, you know, as always, we really appreciate you joining us as we talk skill modeling, the best hobby out there, as we like to say. And as always, we have a great content and discussion for you. So we feature another fantastic interview that I'm really excited for people to hear with the renowned Israeli modeler, Ilya Yut. Ilya is a terrific modeler and also very interesting person. So be sure to stick around for that. The Plastic Posse podcast is sponsored by Tankcraft. Nothing can ruin your day or your Tankcraft cutting mat like spilled liquid cement. Tankcraft has the solution, the glue base. Milled from solid 6061 green anodized aluminum, this thing will keep your bench top looking smart and spill-free for years to come. I've got one, and I love it. The combination of weight and sticky rubber pad on the bottom make them extremely stable. They even come with an optional insert to accommodate most major brands of square and round bottle cement. Pick one up with their beautiful Pro Modeler mats and start your next build on a bench to be proud of. Remember, Tankcraft products come with a 30-day warranty. And don't forget the Plastic Posse exclusive offer. Use the code POSSE15 at checkout for your 15% discount. Head on over to tankcraft.com. That's tankcraft, T-A-N-K-R-A-F-T.com and order your very own Tankcraft glue base and cutting mat. It just looks better on the bench. Now it's time to talk about all of our great posse deputies out there, and we have some catching up to do. Episode 31 of the Triple P is also sponsored by Darren McGinnis, Gerard Henry, Clinton Mulder, Rick Lewis, Terry Wilkinson, Matt O'Mara, Eric Daglish, Mark Burgess, Eric Simmelmeyer, and our deputy marshals, the posse outriders, Grant, Paul, David, Ethan, Jamie, Steve, and Rick. These posse members all help bring you this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to the posse, just go to our website, plasticpossepodcast.buzzsprout.com. In the upper right-hand corner, there is a heart icon. Just click this and then donate any amount you would like. Thanks, TJ. Just a reminder, the Posse is just one of several scale modeling podcasts out there. Just head on over to modelpodcasts.com and you'll find links to many of them. Thanks for that, Scott. You know, we're just going to take this minute to talk about some of the latest news out there in the hobby world. A couple releases just within the last month have kind of shattered people's minds in a sense. And especially I, I would point to the border models slash wingnut wings Lancaster. And and before I get into it, you know, we have to quote Ian Malcolm from 
from uh, Jurassic Park where life finds a way. You know, the the Lancaster wasn't going to go into the uh, the depths of you know some storage unit with the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, so it surely found its way to border models, and I believe they bought a few other molds as well. I saw some chatter about, but regardless, the Lank is gorgeous. I think it's awesome that it's coming out. Sprue shots are everywhere over the internet. Box art is gorgeous. I'm just really happy to see it out. I, I was lucky enough to see it in South Carolina. Their test shots of the full build and then some of those nose sections as well, which I don't know if they're coming out with, but surely that kit is just fantastic. And Scott, I know you've been drooling over it for the last week as well. You know, what I think the legacy of this kit is going to be is the oil canning work that they've done. It's not overdone like you've seen on some kits in the past. And I think it might set a standard, especially in that larger scale for aircraft models to come. No, for sure. Sorry, what is oil canning? When you when you have like thin sheet metal, like on the side of a destroyer, for instance, or the side of an aircraft, as that skin moves because of the air or the water, it starts to create like a pattern, like your sheet metal buckles, basically. And okay. so that's that's what you're seeing. Okay, awesome. That, well, that sounds really cool. You know, another another announcement that we really like and. Certainly, I think everybody was talked about before is the new Razor Crest 170. It's a beast. Marcus Nichols posted on the Tamiya Model Mag's Facebook page some sprue shots, and I, I was honestly shocked how big it is. So that that is really exciting. Doug, I'm sure you'll buy one, right? I'll buy three. Okay, I'll buy one. <laughs> I'll buy one. And if the quality is anywhere near as good as it looks, like it's going to be w- between the molding quality and the the breakdown and everything, I'll have I'll have multiples. It just it just gives me hope that maybe maybe Ravel with their Star Wars stuff is going to be taking a better approach to their future kits. Something you know bring up the quality because I would buy a lot of them if they had them. Yeah, for sure. TJ, you'll definitely buy one, right? Oh yeah. I mean, look, I, I I'm not a a brand snob so much. Like if it's a good kit, it's a good kit. I'll buy. It. I don't care who makes it. You know, right now I think everyone pretty much understands that Ravel's Star Wars kits aren't aren't great, and that's just a fact. But if this one's as good as those shots that Marcus put up, and it looks to be, I mean, that look, I know, I think I've mentioned to Scott before, I mean, that, that looked like borderline Bandai quality. I mean, it looked really crisp. And it's the freaking Razor Crest, man. The ship is awesome. So, yeah, hell yeah, I'll be buying one. Even if it sucks, I'll still probably buy one. Yeah, I'll have one. <laughs> like you guys brought up, it isn't just the molding quality, which looks really, really terrific, but it's the way they've broken down the hull. And they've got that whole lower hole as one piece. I think that shows some real innovation. And uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited for it. The last one we have, and I think everybody's going to buy one and give Steve another opportunity. Whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everybody except you, because you're going to get a free one. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, mark this down. John is going to get a free Hellcat. I, I'm going to, I'll buy one too. I'll buy one. I'll buy one. But. You know, Marcus, again, Marcus Nichols, kudos to him. You know, I really appreciate him sharing all the uh, the forward shots of these things. So he posted, I think, every sprue and detail shots of every yep. sprue on the Tamiya Model Mag page. Certainly a gorgeous kit and an opportunity for value gear. So, Steve, do you see yourself maybe making a pack for it at some point? I will, but uh, I may not do it right away. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not okay. a competitive person. I mean, everybody's like, oh, I got to get it first. You got to do it first. And it's like, I don't know. People are still going to be building it in 10 years. It's okay if I don't come out right away, you know, give me some time. 
Yeah, and especially some of you, you know, you have a lot of sets already that are easily applicable to it. Yeah, but I, I do want to fill those little racks on the side. I, 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 I made yeah. a set for the Academy that's just sitting here. It's just not, I just haven't done enough to get it all done. So, yeah, as soon as that one, I get them both and I'll, I'll put them both out together. Then I can add nice. them all to my packaging and then add a bunch of shit that I don't have yet. <laughs> John, I know you've been really, really busy, but I don't know if you got a chance to kind of really dive into those. But if you look at the sprue on the top of the hole, the exhaust manifold for the Hellcat was like a welded tube steel assembly. Mm-hmm. And to me, has molded that down in a recessed area yeah. in the removable grates is a separate part that you set down in the hole. I mean, that's typical to me, engineering. That's just yeah. amazing. And I'll be honest, I even love the figure that it has it in it. You know, the figure reminds me of kind of something from Alpine Miniatures range where it's got, you know, the commander that's just standing in front of his tank and has that Alpine pose, I'll call it, because that's what they're known for. So I'm certainly looking forward to it. The canvas cover looks great too. And I think there's an option to do both canvas cover and bare mantlet, if I'm not mistaken. I freaking hope so. I, I hope I, so too. I'm going to go on record and say I am not a fan of canvas covers on mantlets. I think part of it is painting canvas to look good is hard for most yeah. people. And I've seen so many bills where it's immaculate and then the canvas cover just doesn't match everything. And I get it. The canvas is hard to paint. I, I'm not that good at it. That's why, if you notice, I don't build anything that has a canvas cover on it. Plus, just posability. You know, if you want to yeah. depress the gun for a scene or something. But I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not the biggest Hellcat fan. Like, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I, I like it. I saw one in person two weeks ago at um, the tank farm here in Noakesville. Uh, it's about an hour from my house. Totally rad. Um, I think that Hellcat was actually in service, too. I think that's what they were saying. So it was pretty neat. It was in service in World War II and then in the Czech Republic. Where nice. it, was not, it was knocked out, and you can still see where it was hit. But, yeah, it's a it's a pretty slick slick little machine so i think there's a hellcat at the uh that pennsylvania war college place too or that pennsylvania yes at carlisle yes you're right it's yeah. right outside somebody just posted pictures of it on facebook yeah i have a couple pictures of it now i'm on the other side of the country and i can't get close to it so go figure but so tj you you mentioned your uh you mentioned your uh, disdain's a strong word maybe it's not but uh, for canvas covers, I've looked at these sprue shots, and I think we might be surprised to see that there is not a you know a bare mantlet. It, that that's unfortunate. I feel, and I'm looking at the front plate of the turret, and it looks like the gun elevation system is actually fixed. So your canvas cover and the gun is you know that's that's all she wrote on this. That's surprising to be honest. Yeah, it's a little disappointing, but at the same time, it's a new tool Hellcat from Tamiya, so it's. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna cry. I, for one, am glad they put a canvas cover in the thing because it'll be one less thing people try to ask me for. <laughs> <laughs> now they're gonna ask me, for, can, can you, can you make a th- uh, like the actual mantlet without the canvas cover? No, I'm not good at that stuff. Like that's not my thing. Steve, I'm curious as to your take on that. Like injection moldings come a long way, but I mean. Are they capable of making an injection molded canvas covered mantlet to the same degree that you can do it as a, as somebody that works with resin? Uh, I probably not. You know, I mean, it's probably always going to look a little bit sterile, you know, a little bit just too manufactured. 
it's probably come a long way since. I mean, originally, you know, in the 70s or whatever, that probably didn't matter. You know, it could look kind of sterile and nobody would care. But as the hobbies changed, you know, people would be more, uh, you know, more apt to have it more look more realistic. I think if the time's put in, I'm sure it could look more proper. All right, now I'm going to kick it over to Scott. So if any of you out there are on Verbal, which is V-U-R-B-L.com, the Plastic Posse is now on Verbal.com. We plan on uh, adding new platforms if it's appropriate, and uh, we're excited about that. John, you've got some news as well on uh, potentially a new IPMS chapter, right? Yeah, I just wanted to give a spotlight to Stephen Reed and David Woods. They're looking to form an APMS chapter in the uh, area near Savannah, Richmond Hill, and Hinesville, Fort Stewart, Georgia area. So I saw Stephen post something on Facebook, and I just wanted to give him a shout out. So if any of our listeners are in that Georgia area, please feel free to shoot us a message or reach out to Stephen Reed. He posts a lot on our Facebook page and, and get connected and try to support his local club. So Again, listeners, please give Stephen Reed a shout out. Uh, and if you're in the Georgia area, give uh, give a consideration to his new club he's forming. So with that, as we talk about IPMS and forming clubs and groups and really pushing the hobby forward in that sense of camaraderie, I want to kick it over to TJ and Steve to talk about something that, that the posse talks about every week. That is the group build for next year's IPMS Nationals. So like John said, moving over to the hot topic for the for next year's IPMS National Convention is our M3, M4, Sherman slash Lee slash Grant slash uh, Grizzly slash whatever you want to call it, uh, group build. So um, here's an update. As of today, which is October 9th, 2021, we have 74 entries. That's spread out between, I want to say, over 55 people. Uh, There's quite a few people doing more than one. Um, I just got two people in the group today, Greg James and Daniel. I don't want to say your last name because I'll probably screw it up. And his uh, son, Hank, are going to build a tank together, um, which is super, super cool. Uh, that's really neat. I think his his son's a little bit younger, so that's pretty cool. Uh, there are probably more people that want to join. I've been really busy with work and a bunch of other stuff going on, so I haven't probably gotten to everyone. I'm going to spend some time going through my messages uh, to find, to see if I miss anyone. Because if you know how Messenger works, sometimes you don't always know someone's messaging you if you don't see the um, notification. Because then, like, Facebook kind of like hides those messages for whatever reason. So I have to go back and look and check. So I will get to you. If you have not heard from me, I promise I will, I will get to you and we will figure something out. I know I mentioned it before. But yes, we still do not have a lot of what I like to call the minor nations spoken for. I'm working on a list of those nations and potential uh, modeling subjects. Again, I feel like a slacker because I haven't gotten that out like I wanted to. Um, But again, I'm going to go ahead and use the same old excuse. I've been really busy with work. Um, I work long hours. And by the time I get home, two kids. So I, I just got a lot of stuff going on. Sorry. But we will we will get it all uh, sorted out. The group, the actual Facebook group that we have going is really cool, too. I think there's almost 60 people in the group. There's been a lot of good work. I've been posting a bunch of stuff in there because I've been slaving away on this um, Asuka M4 composite hall, which has been really fun. And I've been posting all my most of my update pictures in there. So that's that's kind of where we are with just the basics of the, the group build. We since we have. Uh, Steve from Value Gear with us. 
uh, today, we are going to go ahead and announce that Steve and Valier are uh, sponsoring the group build. Nice. So if TJ has 65 entries in there, who are the other seven entries? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't have that. I think I have three. I think John has more than I do. Yeah, but you still got like, I don't know what, like nine, ten months to go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. like that's like at least sixty more tanks. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it my best. So as as far as, so when it comes to sponsoring our group build, what what is that going to get the ent- the entrance in the group build? It, is there something? Do we, do we have some a deal worked out for them? Sometimes I'll, I'll run a sale, and since I'm just one dude, like uh, what I'll do is I'll say you know buy two sets, get one free. You know, I haven't done it in a long time because I've been just getting plenty of business. But when things get really slow, I'm like, hey, buy three, get one free or something like that. Um, So, yeah, if we say, you know, if somebody in the group build buys a set, just send me a message and tell me another set and I'll send them two sets. But they got to be in the group build. How's that? Yep. So, that's not fair. Yeah, I think that's I think that's awesome. Um, I know I've I push your products uh, myself in the group build and we've got your uh, website linked up on the top already just because you're an awesome dude and you are a, a valuable commodity to the hobby community. So that alone is enough to, for me to say, Hey, you know, you guys need to support Steve and his awesome products. And like I was telling you before, I already have like two drawers full of your stuff and it's all awesome. I love it. Yeah. I actually looked you up and I saw, I saw you had ordered it several times. I, I, I didn't realize that. <laughs> he's he's on the gold, the gold yeah. customer list. I'm going to yeah. have to, I'm going to have to import Mike, Mike over here so he can help me keep up with shit. Cause I can't, <laughs> I just can't, re- I, I can't always match all the, I you know, like all the online names and forum names and pet names and their wives name. I can't remember. I mean, I got a good, a good head for names, but. It's just too much. I mean, I need something more than just a couple of emails to remember everybody. You got to have a name like uh, Stonehammer or some shit, you know, something really, <laughs> really clicks. You know? To everyone in, in the group build and not in the group build, frankly, um, if you want stowage and, you know, Steve offers more than just, just, just Sherman stowage, German and universal sets. And they're all great. And even, um, like wargaming scale for like bolt action, which is 156 scale, which is a, a weird scale. I even have some of those because I have a little M4A2 Sherman for my uh, Marine Corps uh, bolt action. It's got uh, your stowage all over it. Yeah, he's also got diorama bases. And what I picked up at Nats, I love the Hesco barriers. I really want to make a little fob or cop diorama, and these are going to be perfect. So, Steve, they came out really nice. And I think it's an awesome addiction to your catalog. So I'm I'm hoping to get them painted up soon. They again, they're super crisp, really nice. Yeah, you know, you know, I used like your 2005 wire instead of 2011 wire on them. So, oh, you know, no, I'm just kidding. I gotta throw them away. <laughs> your Yelp review just got a little bit lower. <laughs> well, it's at it's at 110, percent so I can afford to lose one percent. I think I'm going to try to have a piece of value gear on every Sherman I build for the group build. That's that's going to be my promise to you. I know, I know. I've probably mentioned it before, but my my favorites are the little toolboxes. Yeah, I, I tried to. I'm trying to like make that like my thing. I, I've only done two because I up until recently I, I wasn't really confident. In this thing I didn't really want to put stowage on my 
on my tanks and then same thing with figures but that's a whole other thing but now i like i like to put stowage so if i do stowage i usually find some sort of toolbox and I like to paint it red no matter what what color my tank is i've done it on a sherman i did it on my crusader i'm gonna do it on my next sherman it'll be a little red toolbox i kind of want that to be like my little signature so those little toolboxes are great yeah my, mike's been doing it too uh, i'm i'm gonna make a mold of just those little toolboxes so i can load you guys up i like your uh the potato uh, crates, yeah. I think those are pretty cool. I think you have one with bread as well and a few vegetables too. I like anything that he does with a tarp over the top of it. The way that he drapes those tarps and gets the folds and the detail showing through him. He's just, he's a, he's a master at that. Again, talking about Steve in the third yeah. person. I understand gravity. There you go. Bread there's and the, potatoes. There's the bread. Yeah. So like to make those potatoes, I would roll out epoxy putty into like a, just a, a long skinny cylinder. And then I just pick a piece off and roll it in my fingers and drop it and drop it and drop it and drop it until I get a big pile. And then I put them into a crate. It takes forever. I got to say, man, we, we always learn something on the posse. I mean, learn Now we're learning how to sculpt potatoes. That's pretty cool. So Steve, I, I think your stowage is great. And we talked a little bit about this at Nat. So you make really good universal stowage. And what I've started to do integrating your stowage onto vehicles is, you know, roll out a tarp with, with epoxy, you know, that two part Aves epoxy sculpt, and then put that between the hull and your piece of stowage. That way it looks really conformal and nice. And I, and I find it's a quick, quick thing to build stowage on the back of a, of a tank. Yeah, there's a there's a video on Andy's Hobby Headquarters where I did that, trying to demonstrate that because I mean that's what I want people to. I, I you know some people are like, why don't you make this whole thing and just drop into place? And it's like because then ten guys built the same tank with the same stowage, it's boring, you know. But by giving people bits to work with, you know, and maybe a little education on putty, you know, you can build something that looks just ten times more realistic. And I think that's uh, I think that's a good thing to do. Well, you mentioned looking realistic. Some of your newer stuff in one sixteenth scale, you're not using putty for the tarps. Are you using Kleenexes or textured towels? What, what were you talking about at Nats again? Well, you you know how a big thrift store I am, right? Oh yeah, I, I, it I wouldn't be value gear time. without it. <laughs> I find that I found this at the thrift store. I found this at the thrift store. Well, I used a, a really nice bed sheet to make the one sixteenth uh, tarps. Yeah, it's got that really nice texture, and I think. Some of the stowage painters out there are really going to love that when they get into it. It'll pick up everything. So no, that that was really cool. Yeah, and your I, new buckles too. I made a bunch of uh, you, you know, I already have a bunch of universal tarp rolls that are one sixteenth, and they were all made out of the exact same bed sheet. So all this new stuff is also out of that. But yeah, I'll just you know take the bed sheet, cut a big piece, and stuff it full of uh, epoxy putty and some paper towels, and I actually just roll it up, kind of tie it off to give it a little, you know, some uh some strap strap marks and go from there then go back and add the straps i got a general question and you might not know this but how many pieces of stowage do you think you've made for value gear yeah i have no idea probably into the thousands i bet i've probably rolled a million tarps i bet (laughs) i mean it just i don't know i you know i can do them so easy now that it's like if you just came over and watched my dog i could probably do like a hundred and let's talk about your casting. So you're using one piece molds and you'll use a, a vacuum caster, if that's the right term. Yeah, it's pretty uh, straightforward, right? Well, yeah. Uh, so anything that's flat bottomed, I do in a one piece mold. 
and I use vacuum pump to draw the air bubbles to the bottom where nobody cares about them. And then I also do things, things like engine decks and more complicated parts. You know, I'll, I'll do what they call an envelope mold. And that's where you sort of put a seam or a crease, you know, or cut the mold so you can get the piece out. And those have little pore plugs on them, but I try to make them where they snap off. And then I'll use those to, as like filler in like a big truckload or something. So I try not to waste anything. So the, uh, the envelope molds for more complicated things where you put a, you basically cast the piece inside of a larger block, cut the side so you can get the piece out. Those are pressure cast. Yeah, there's no, I don't think I've ever gotten a piece of yours that has an air bubble in it. You find a little one here and there. Not too bad. And I don't use mold release either, so the parts aren't all greasy or stinky or anything like that. I use uh, oh, interesting. talcum powder. So, while we're still talking about group builds, um, just a reminder that we still have our TIE Fighter group build going on, our Rockfields Model T3485 group build going on, and our Spitfire Mark One Battle of Britain build going on. So check, you know, look for those on Facebook, join them up, follow along. They're all cool builds or cool groups with lots of good builds. And we'd also like to give a little bit of a shout out to our buddies over at the Model Geeks who just launched their new A4 group build. I do not have an A4 yet or really any airplanes other than that one Spitfire. (laughs) So if I can find one uh, that's halfway decent to build, I will probably get in on that, too, because it is a pretty cool little plane. I don't know a whole lot about them because... Like I've said a million times, I'm not a plane guy, but they do look cool. And, you know, I got to support our buddies over at the Geeks because they're all really super good dudes. Well, I'm definitely part of that one. I bought an A4M from Hazagawa just for that build. My favorite aircraft, a jet aircraft of all time is the Skyhawk. Scooters are awesome. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. It's a great little airplane. Really inexpensive, does the job, really tough little little plane and a million really cool paint jobs. Uh, we got to see some of the uh, Draken A4s when we were down at Nats over at Dallas. They were all just unbelievably cool. Lots of foreign nations use them. It's going to be great. I ran into an A4B in South Dakota two weeks ago, of all places, just sitting out at this little military uh, vehicle museum. I didn't expect to see it. I didn't even go to the museum. It was closed, but there was an A4B just sitting outside. So I went and got a picture of it and that was pretty cool. Nice. I love the Israeli ones as well. Draken and Israeli is one and two for me. So I will be on the search and I will participate as well. It's the least I can do because I know some of them are joining us. So great community. I hope some of our listeners uh, join them as well because they're a good group of guys. Hey, John, if the plan is still for us to come over and give you a hand unpacking, I've got an Israeli Skyhawk I can hook you up with. Oh, man. You'll help me unpack and you'll give me a kit? Yeah, but she- you're gonna but you're gonna smoke some kind of animal product for it, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll cook half a pig for you, man. This is good. That's oh, sweet. I'm getting the better end of that deal. That sounds like the deal. I will not be participating in the Skyhawk group build because I don't know diddly shit about airplanes. <laughs> like, there's no way in hell I could. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, I'm, I. I'm going to force myself to get this uh, kangaroo done. It's a, uh, I, I just, I get so distracted. I mean, I have to shovel shit off of my bench sometimes just to fix something, you know? Yeah. I'm going to totally, I'm going to hook this uh, kangaroo up with some stowage, man. Like a bunch of cool stuff. I got ideas. Nice. All right, Doug, I'm going to kick it over to you. And uh, so you can go over a little bit of feedback. 
Uh, we had a lot of feedback from the last episode, and a lot of it we're not gonna we're not gonna mention anybody by name. But the interview with Jason Champion um, in episode thirty, a lot of people really uh, enjoyed it, and a lot of uh, a lot of posse members reached out 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 to us and uh, shared their own experiences with anxiety, PTSD, depression, among other things. And we want to thank you all for all the thoughts and your willingness to discuss them. Anyway, let's uh, let's get into this, Patty Pat. He's uh, he was looking forward to that interview, and he uh, said it was a great feeling to be able to apply his past experiences with PTSD and anxiety and how he overcame it to help Jason through. Having a shoulder to lean on, especially someone who's been there, is really helpful. Don't be scared to reach out. It's a valuable and important episode. Peter Fidlocksky. Uh, I laughed so hard when Scott mentioned the new group logo. By the way, I'm Hungarian, not Polish, although my name sounds Polish or is Polish. I'm going to go ahead and touch on that uh, group logo. My stickers got lost by UPS. So I've contacted uh, Sticker Mule, who I bought them from. And I want, obviously, new ones printed because I spent money. So when I get those, I will, again, I'll be sending them out to everyone. I just emailed them. I want to say yesterday afternoon. I've not heard back yet, but uh, I want I want my damn stickers so because they're awesome. Yeah, great logo design, Peter. Michael Libero, I've always appreciated that from the start, you've mentioned mental health awareness and that you constantly push to keep the hobby positive. Well done. We also heard from RK. He, among other things, he said, sorry, John Bonani and TJ Haller, but uh, hearing you say that you get foxed by pigments made me feel a little less sad about my own inability to get that evil devil dust to do what I want it to. <laughs> I would still like to mention that I watched all of uh, Mike's uh, custom tailored dust uh, pigment live stream the other day. And I still, <laughs> I still like, I just, mine doesn't look like his, no matter how hard I try. <laughs> yeah. I, I swear he made, he made a deal with the devil. They met on the crossroads. I don't know what he traded to get <laughs> to learn how to do pigments like he did, but I hope it was worth it. <laughs> all right. And one other thing that R said, and it just kind of made me laugh. He said, he tried to picture us. Based on our voices before he saw our photos from Nats, he imagined Scott as a cool professor type, John as a clean-cut businessman type, TJ as a dude in a leather jacket, and Doug as a teenage high school a football type. He sounds very young. I'd say you nailed me, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got him. <laughs> nailed us all. <laughs> I do own a leather jacket. I do. It was my business. It was my dad's. It was my dad's leather jacket from the seventies. It's brown. I don't ever wear it. I I only have it because it was my dad's. I feel like you need to wear that to a show now. I don't think it might be a little too small. I I feel like I feel like I would pull like a Chris Farley and uh, (laughs) my bulgy muscles would just would just rip through it. I I think that's what would actually happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Just like Chris Farley, right? The bulging muscles yes, ripping through. Yeah. <laughs> Jake Isley said, I'm only halfway through now, but I agree that the Jason Champion interview was really great. Nice of you guys to give him time to talk without any interruption or follow-up. Just straight up having him let it rip. Darren McGinnis says he fully appreciated the sympathetic way the show handled the subject of mental health and the hobby. It's the hobby that keeps me sane after long, a long week of shifts on the line and of and listening to you. Makes bench time all the more enjoyable. Thanks for what you do. We got a lot of other responses um, along the same lines, and we really appreciate it. And we, we want you to know that we understand that there's a lot of you that don't feel comfortable sharing 
online uh, this your, your struggles but if you ever need voice to uh to talk to a, a an ear just to listen give one of us a call give us a shout out we'll we're we're here for you we're, we'll be happy to talk if you need someone yeah i appreciate that doug and and also want to mention episode 32 which will be the one following this one we're also going to kind of revisit the topic and we'll have a guest um, that gets into that as well. It's not something that we're going to stop talking about. It's really important that we're all here for each other and we're going to continue to make sure that people hear that message from us. So, Awesome. Well, that's it for our feedback for this this episode. Uh, TJ, it's time for social media shout outs. Before we jump into that, just want to remind everyone that we do have an Instagram account. It's at Plastic Posse Podcast, I think. I think it's all three. I'm sorry. I should know that. I'm the one that runs it, but it's late. I'm tired. Um, and we also have a Twitter account. And that I know for a fact is at Posse Podcasts. Got it right the first time. I'm going to start with uh, YouTube. And I think Ivan added these. Of course, he's not here to tell us all about them. We have Flying S Models. And then he also mentions uh, Mark at Edinburgh Modeling Man Cave. Mark, I do know that's Mark Ewing. We are friends on Facebook. Uh, he's in a lot of the same groups we are. Really good dude. Pretty good modeler. Pretty entertaining YouTube channel. He does a lot of um, vlog style videos where he'll just talk about his builds. He'll show show off his builds. Um, it's just a really cool guy. Yeah, TJ, on that Flying S Models, one of the videos, I I actually was a subscriber. And he, he takes older monogram kits and applies a lot of really modern finishing tools, but builds them kind of out of the box, more or less, and just finishes them really well. He did a monogram P39 Aracobra from that classic, you know, 1970s kit that we probably all built at one point or another. And it's a great video. So it's a cool channel. Yeah. And Mark's channel is fantastic. He's in the, he, he posts a lot of his work in our Plastic Posse group as, as well as uh, on his own channel. So yeah, he's, he's a great modeler. Over Facebook, I think this is another one added by our pal Ivan, who is not here tonight. I would like to remind everyone that uh, he, he chose Swap Donkey Scale Models, which holy cow, that is a cool ass name. He seems to be primarily uh, an aircraft modeler. And if you go to his Facebook page, the very first thing you see is a really good Tommy 148 scale F14A Tomcat. It's a commit. It was a commission build. It's pretty damn good. I'm a sucker for Tomcats. I love Top Gun. I mean, everybody does. It's a sweet plane. It's a pretty good, pretty good build. Yeah, I like his Pukara as well. He's he's doing a lot of modern aviation. His Harrier is really nice. So I just liked him. Good good call, Ivan. Well, and I want to shout out his uh, profile pic. His logo is just rad. Looks like you've got a, a zombie donkey here. It's, <laughs> and it's pissed. And it looks cool <laughs> as heck. All right, I have one for Instagram. It is J Richards Scale Models, and that's J, the letter J, Richards, underscore scale, underscore models, uh, Instagram account. I think this was just another Instagram account that, you know, I spent a lot of time on Instagram account, and they, Instagram is pretty good at recommending the pages or accounts, I guess, uh, that you would be interested in based on. You know, what you look at that almighty log logarithm. So I think I found his just by accident and I checked it out and it was, it was pretty good stuff. And also I think according to his Instagram uh, account, he is a writer for Michigan toy soldier who does a pretty good, um, I, a journal, I guess you would, it's, it's some sort of publication. I don't know exactly what you would describe it as. And the guy's name is Jacob and he does a lot of, um, war gaming stuff. But like a, the military wargaming, so like bolt action, that 
156 scale stuff. He's got a pretty cool Stug, um, some sort of weird thing with a missile launcher on the side of it. I think that looks like some sort of sci-fi thing. He does a lot of science fiction too. Really good stuff. Really well-rounded modeler. Also does fishing lures. So that's pretty sweet. Are they like flies? No, they're like... um, A A lot of people are doing that. A lot of people are really into that these days. Like they'll they'll uh, sculpt and cast fishing lures. Yeah, I mean it looks it, it looks like a crankbait. That's what it looks like to me. It's pretty cool. I, I don't know if he sculpts them, but um, they're pretty sweet. On YouTube, there's a Barbarossa models, and he did a brilliant diorama. He's from the Jersey Islands, and he did a diorama of one of the bunkers that's there. And all of the German soldiers were in grayscale. And then he had some modern people color walking around the bunker. And it's absolutely brilliant. It's on YouTube. Cool. I will definitely be checking this out. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I, I, it reminds me of uh, something I saw in a magazine a long time ago. They had uh, like an old plane crash, but then they had all the figures in grayscale, you know, like uh, the crew that came out of it. There were people like taking pictures of the plane. It was, I think it's a really cool idea. It kind of goes with uh, was. Sprue Cutters Union had that guy, can't think of his name, but he did a book about the story, like how to do diorama stories. Oh, Marvin Gills. Yeah, I have his book. Oh, it's, yeah. yeah and, it's the uh, third yeah, I, AK I think, diorama book. Yeah, that was that was a good interview. But, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, this is one that, that I think kind of supports that. I mean, it's just a cool, cool picture. I mean, a cool diorama. Yeah, I just got to his page. I am subscribing right meow. All right. Um, Doug, did you have a wild card to add? Yeah, I've got this. Uh, there's a guy, at, uh, Volvos Young Bum. We'll have to put a link because uh, he's Korean, I believe. He does Gundam and he doesn't do clean Gundams. These things are nasty, beat up, like highly worn machines. And they're cool as heck. Lots of damage, some dioramas, some just very, very cool stuff. Highly, highly recommend you check this out. Um, the level of detail uh, with damage. This this guy would stand out at any model show. I mean, he would be one of those standout modelers. So yeah, we'll we'll definitely put a link in for this guy because it's amazing. As always, we'll add these links to um, the Plastic Posse podcast Facebook page, and they will be in the show notes as well. Thanks for that, TJ. And, and I always love that segment uh, to find out new modelers. So I, I certainly have some new subscribes and likes. Now we're going to jump into a segment of the episode where each of us kind of brings what we have on our mind and just talk about it and have uh, you know many discussions. And you know, for my discussion point this week, it really goes to a big thank you to everyone um, throughout my time of just moving. You know, I haven't been able to build much at all, really. Um, what's kept me through it and certainly kept me engaged in the hobby is seeing all the work that our you know listeners, that our my fellow podcasters and friends are doing. Uh, it's it's really motivating. It's really uh, inspiring, and and certainly keeps me uh, you know well well grounded with the hobby as I go through this. Uh, you know, move across the country. So, you know, a couple people I'd love to just call out, you know, one of them is, is TJ. He's been doing a great job on his Sherman and it's, it's really, it's really awesome to see the evolution of the build and, and what he's doing. So it's, I think it's turning out great. Even with your speckling today, it looks awesome. You know, some other guys online, Ilya Yut, his work is just simply ins- inspiring. And I know we had him on earlier and his fire truck was super sweet to look at. And, and again, there's just other groups as well. Uh, the, 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 the group build page is, is fantastic. So, I, you know, as, as my point, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. Even though I'm not building, I'm in there in spirit, and I'm certainly liking and sharing everything that you're doing. So that's, that's kind of what I want to do and what you guys helped me through this, uh, 
tumultuous time. It's it's not been easy, but listening to all the podcasts is another one. You know, the Geeks, Mojo, all all, all the podcasts for that matter. Guys down south, you know, the the SCU folks, and and also uh, Stuart up north. Uh, I have a lot to catch up on uh, because I, like I said earlier, I wasn't allowed to listen to them on the ride, or I shouldn't say I wasn't allowed to listen to them. I wouldn't put my wife through that. That's more appropriate. But I'm certainly looking forward to listening to all of them, and I have some videos from Andy's as well to catch up on. So. You know, with that, that's that's just what I want to say is even though I'm not building, I'm still being uh, entertained and really inspired by a lot of the work out there. So so with that, I, I just want to say thank you to our listeners and, and friends. Does anybody want to give John a raft of shit from Martin, like calling JB's name all over his new video? Oh, we, that probably hasn't dropped yet, huh? Well, it'll drop when this we're drops, right? Patreons. Yeah. No, it'll, that'll release this week. Yeah. Um, the week this comes out. That was awesome though. <laughs> I had no idea. I just very Dude. flattered. Flabbergasted. Oh my God. <laughs> very honored. I appreciate it. I heck I, I look up to Martin all the time. And yeah, I, I again he's another one that I have to give a shout out for, you know, throughout this move and not being able at the bench. Certainly a Patreon subscriber there. And if you aren't listeners and you love armor, Please, please, please go over and support Martin's channel. We, we you know, we, we talk about it every episode. Um, but yeah, his latest video was just fantastic. And his Yag Panther is, I have to build one uh, upcoming for, for, for a publication. And now I just want to shelve it because his looks just freaking awesome. <laughs> That's a night shift, right? Is that who you're talking about? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, night yeah. Shift. I, I watch that all the time. That guy's awesome. We need to get him uh, some value gear swag. Yeah. What's, what's his problem? oh we need to address that's right i think we might have it you'll get a care package martin yeah again i I just want to say keep posting everyone keep sharing your work i certainly like to look at it doug what's on your mind man i have a couple of things um first i just want to say uh be aware folks that i think bandai star wars stuff is going to start showing up on shelves again um, I just got notified that the uh, Y wings that I pre-ordered back in March have shipped, so I should have those very, very soon. So be aware if you like the Star Wars stuff from Bandai, some of that stuff's going to be back out very shortly. Um, but what I wanted to really talk about is building while you're traveling, and it's something that uh, we have an upcoming interview with another one of our listeners about. But I was recently on a trip with my wife. We went through to see Devil's Tower in Wyoming and the Badlands National Park in South Dakota. And so I'm sitting in Wall, South Dakota, and my wife goes to bed and I set up at this little motel table and I broke up, a gu- broke up, broke out a Gundam and started building. <laughs> to be honest, I was having fun. Here I am well, way away from home, I brought enough. I brought some sprue cutters. I brought one of my uh, super sanding blocks. I brought, uh, you know, a hobby knife. And these are snapped together kits. And so I was assembling these pieces and I had a good time. So do you guys ever build while you travel? So not travel, travel, but I think I mentioned it before. I have also built Gundams in a similar situation. Um, I used to work shift which I know I've mentioned probably like a million times. So I would work four overnights in a row for 12 hours a night. And I just figured out since I had a lot of downtime because I was the only person there and I didn't have anything to do to help keep myself busy and 
help keep myself awake and alert, I could build stuff. And the first thing I thought to build was Gundams because all you need is like what you said, Doug, a pair of uh, nippers and a knife and a some sort of sanding mechanism. And you're good to go. You don't need to worry about glue. You can sit there, clip your parts out and stick them together and just enjoy it. And if, if anyone's built a, a Gundam, you know, especially a, a more recent one, you know how enjoyable they are to put together. I mean, it's they're they're I don't want to say works of art, but I guess I'm going to kind of have to say they're they're a work of art. I mean, they're they're amazing. Everything about them. That That's the closest I've ever come, I would say. On that kit, everything I put on it, every time I put something on it, I was just kind of smiling because of the fit. It, it blows my mind that there is there is uh, an arm piece. I guess both arm pieces came off the sprue, the the framing, with seven points that actually move as a single piece on the sprue, molded that way with moving parts, seven moving parts on one piece. Yeah, so it's a real grade kit. Yep. Yeah, I actually went on a vacation a couple of years to Lake Tahoe with my wife and she did some crafting with a mutual friend of ours. And while they were doing that, I, I built a real grade uh, Gundam as well. And yeah, those things are just, you, you, you open the sprue bags and look at them and you just, your brain tries to wrap it, wrap around how you can actually have articulating pieces that slide over the top of each other on the sprue before you've even cut it out. It's just amazing. Yeah, I did a little building when I was a consultant. I'd travel Monday morning to Thursday night, so usually I'd pack a 48 scale armor kit and work on that in the hotel room during the week. So I am familiar with that as well. I've been seen rolling some tarp rolls in hotels before. Well, Doug, thanks for that. I Like I mentioned, I know I've certainly done it before. And listeners, if you have some stories about building models in interesting places, feel free to share. We'd love to hear from you. Scott, I'm kicking it over to you. What's on your mind? Yeah, so uh, recently I watched one of our good friend John Bias's uh, YouTube videos. He drops those on Friday. And he had one uh, that was called, Has the Hobby Lost the Fun? Maybe it's time for a change. And he kind of, when he was on the posse uh, for his interview with us, he talked about how he was primarily an aircraft modeler and then switched over to science fiction. And it kind of revitalized his building. I just... it's a it's a really good video. You can find it on YouTube. It's John Bias Scale Models. It's just a really great little vlog about Mojo and having fun. He shares his experiences. Um, you know, he he had gotten to the point where he was going to give the hobby up. He just wasn't getting any enjoyment out of it at all. And uh, by trying a new genre, and it not only um, brought the fun back in for him, but he tried new skills. You know, he as an aircraft modeler was doing a lot of airbrushing, wasn't doing any um, brush painting and wasn't doing a lot of weathering as well. And anyway, it's a really good video. So if you guys want to check that out, I think you might enjoy it. It's a good perspective. I know how that feels. You know, I, I wouldn't say subject matter, but probably the style of kits. I went from complex builds to out of the box builds mainly. And it really changed how I viewed the hobby and really the enjoyment I found in it. So I, I can, his, you know, his theme really resonates with me. Yeah. I mean, I kind of get that too. I I know I've mentioned before I started with war gaming. I moved to science fiction modeling and then on to mainly armor now still dabbling in science fiction from time to time and maybe aircraft one day, who knows? But yeah, I, I also watched that video, Scott, because I've been a long time subscriber of John's um, 
uh, YouTube page, and I thought it was really good. You know, I, I like it. I like his videos where he talks about stuff like that. And uh, I, you know, I get that. Like, I I used to do commissions, and I stopped because it like freaking sucks, man. Like, it's not it's not fun. Um, I've got one right now that I really need to finish. That I I know I mentioned before. I I took it because I have a hard time saying no to people I like. But yeah, it's just not. I don't know. Yeah, that stopping doing commissions was probably the best thing that happened in my painting. It, it made me feel better about doing the, the what isn't supposed to be a hobby. Steve, I'm kind of curious, you know, when you're when you're working on new sets and you're casting and stuff, do you ever just clear kind of the work aside so you can have some fun building, so to speak? Or is that not how it works in your shop? Yeah, usually for me, like, you know, I get so busy casting all the time that, you know, to create stuff is you got to be in the right mindset. You know, like sometimes I don't feel like it, but each each uh, year, my brother-in-law, he's the type of guy that doesn't understand that grownups don't need Christmas gifts or birthday gifts. So he always gives you something. So to get him back, you know, what I do is I build him a model for his birthday or for Christmas or whatever. And and everything I've done for him has been something that's that's fun. Like I took a 1956 nomad car that I found guess where at the thrift store and I turned it into a zombie plow car. You know, it's all rusted up and I put a bunch of stowage stuff in the back and that was really fun to do. Like I'm sick of tigers and panthers and Shermans and everything else. I don't, I get tired of looking at that stuff, but uh, you know, another year I built him a, like a kit bash spaceship with a Gillette razor, bridge on top you know the uh the little clear plastic thing that you get the, the refills out of that was the bridge you know and i put some ship ship guns on it you know things like that that was that was really fun for me and just recently i built him a uh an atst that i got a hobby lobby and that was really cool that was really fun i i'd like to do one of those for for myself one day but yeah i, I don't uh yeah i don't do a lot of a lot of model building these days and you know since i've been listening to the podcast the roof of the ATST, there is a place for you could put stowage up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there were a couple packs hanging on it, but yeah, I don't know. Listening to the podcast lately, it's kind of pissing me off because I, I it makes me want to build and do something fun, and uh, you know, I just hadn't had the time. So, but then, you know, that's why I want, uh, I'm excited about the group build because once I get started, I'll be really excited about this uh, building this kangaroo. All right, so to bring us home in this segment, TJ, what's on your mind? Um, uh, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff, like always. Um, I kind of want to touch on on something that is in the same vein as what what Scott was saying, and that's you know, changing it up, right? And and pushing yourself to do something you haven't done before, or something you feel like isn't in your wheelhouse. And I, I know me personally, um, I've been doing that a lot lately. I know I, I briefly touched on the fact that since last time I recorded, I've, I've completed, started and completed three separate projects. Now, none of those projects were really what I would call a, a full kit, I guess. The two that stand out the most are I did a wedgie uh, vignette and I did a bust. And neither one of those things I've ever done before. And I've always wanted to do, to do both. I know, John, we've talked about it before, wedgie dioramas or wedgie vignettes or just wedgies are awesome and that's one of those things that's kind of divisive like people are either think they're great or think they're the dumbest thing on the planet 
um, I side on. I think they're great and can be really unique. So I, I did one. I, I bought one. I didn't build it myself. I bought it. It's made by Black Dog. And I spent a weekend doing it. Um, and it was pretty cool. I think it turned out really, really good, um, especially for the time I spent on it. And it was neat to push myself to do something I haven't done before. And then the, I think the following weekend uh, is when I did the bust that I've had for some time now. It's of George Washington, um, one of my heroes. I, I love George Washington. He's the best. And uh, that was another thing. I've never, I've never done anything like that before, but I watched a couple of YouTube videos. I read a couple articles online and I grabbed my airbrush and my paint, my paint brushes. And I just went to town and I, that was another thing where I did it over the span of a weekend and it was an, a welcome distraction from olive drab, which, you know, I love building Sherman's. I love painting Sherman's. I like building armor, but sometimes it's good for a break. And, and I think, if you do something you don't normally do, it can make you a better modeler. Like I feel like a more competent modeler now, even though I've already done, I've only done one bust ever in my life. And I feel more well-rounded just cause I have that under my belt. And that, that kind of goes back to another thing I want to touch on is I, I was talking to Scott before this and some of the, the comments that I get from people on the internet about the fact that I've done a lot of models this year and it's almost like kind of dismissive over that. Like I can still have a hard time or feel like I'm struggling and something's taking too long. It's almost that gets dismissed because, oh, you've done a lot of models this year. Well, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean I'm not having a hard time doing something or I feel like this is taking too long just because your version of too long is different than mine. And this year I've been just pushing myself to finish projects and get stuff done put another notch on the belt and put another one in the cabinet or give another one to a friend of mine, which is what I've been doing a lot lately too. I've been clearing my, my cabinet. I'm just giving stuff away because I just don't want it anymore. I don't need it. And someone else can enjoy it. And, and those two things kind of go hand in hand. I, you know, I, I feel like you should push yourself to do something different and then also push yourself to f- finish shit and you know, like get stuff done. It, like you feel better. And I think it, like, I feel like a better, better modeler because I have work that's complete. And even if it's not the best and it's not the best and it will never be the best, but I, I can't remember who mentioned it. It might've even been you, John, like they're not all going to be award winners and that that's okay. And just get them done. Like, and you'll get better with every single one or you'll learn something new. Like, you know, like with pigments, I'm not a pigment fan, just like we were kind of joking about earlier, but I want to do a project and use a lot of pigments just because they're there. I have them and, and I want to use them just, because maybe one day I'll be better at them. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this. So, I mean, you guys feel free to take over at any point. <laughs> I think it's a good point, you know, that each model is is different and each model gets better and you learn something from each one. I mean, I, I see that a lot from guys that post on my page. You can't get better without without just doing it. Just do it. Like Nike's, Nike's uh, you know, brand, you know, no statement. That That means a lot in many things in life. Just do it. And you will get better by just doing it. And, you know, again, you think you may think that, oh, man, this model's great. I'm going to do a wonderful at a show. And it kind of goes back to what you said, TJ. Not all of them are award winners, and that's okay. And and also at a show, it's any given Sunday. It's purely – it's really subjective, actually. So you, you might think your, 
your model's great. And you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm ready. And then you get nothing. And then a kit you bring that you're like, oh, I just threw this together in the last 48 hours and it takes a first. So don't ever kind of have those thoughts, you know, just push towards the end. And, and I'll also say, uh, maybe I guess it goes contradictory a little bit is it's also okay to just get away from a model. If it's sucking the energy out of you, just, you know, dare I say, even throw it away. When I moved, I threw a lot of stuff away. Um, but I, I think that's important too, is just, just to get that fresh, you know, that fresh palette and, and move on and, and get something done to go back to what TJ said. Yeah. I want to go back to what Steve said. I think it's good TJ, because you've checked two big boxes. I mean, first of all, you indicated that you enjoyed these new experiences and that's what this hobby is all about. So big check mark in that box, but more importantly, you use that enjoyment to grow and to expand your skills. And you did things like I know on the Washington bus, you were collaborating a little bit with uh, Barry over at Small Subjects um, on the painting on that bus and doing things that you weren't comfortable with. And I know you've been working a little bit with Mike on the pigments, you know, um, on your on your new Sherman that, you know, kind of trying to do a little more there. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think there's I mean, obviously great value in uh, in that because you're enjoying what you're doing and you're growing. So good on you. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, TJ, thanks thanks a lot for that topic to round out this segment. Um, you know, every week I do enjoy listening to what everybody has on their mind. So with this, Doug, what's up next? Well, it's time for the Triple P interview segment sponsored by Sean's Custom Model Tools. Makers of the awesome super sanding blocks, these blocks allow you to have controlled precision sanding that yields fantastic results. Today's interview is with renowned Israeli armor modeler Ilya Ute. Ilya spent some time with Scott and TJ talking about his modeling. He's very candid and colorful, and I know you'll find this interview to be fascinating. Enjoy. Welcome into another Plastic Posse podcast interview. TJ and I are joined from Israel by Ilya Yu. Ilya, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm glad to be here on the podcast. Well, we appreciate your uh, patience. We've had some technical difficulties getting Ilya on here, but he's been uh, kind enough to join us again, and uh, we're excited to talk to him. So, Ilya, you're a very, very well-known um, armor and vehicle modeler, but um, give us a little background about yourself. Tell us a little bit about, you know, when you first started modeling, how long you've been modeling, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, uh, the story is rather typical. I started modeling was when I was, like, at the kindergarten age, and I believe the first model was some kind of a spacecraft with uh, two guys inside, built mostly by my father. I think my first armor model was uh, some ISU-122 by some uh, uh, Soviet company. And in the 80s, I built mostly planes that was available. And uh, then in the 90s, when the Zvezda appeared with the infantry kit, I felt that 35th scale is my thing. Uh, I started with uh, figures uh, as much as I could uh, deal with them. And then after several failures, uh, I get on uh, on the armor side. And as many guys, uh, the university years was more uh, like music and less modeling. And then uh, 
I got back into modeling and uh, it was kind of very different environment, like in the 90s before the widespread uh, bro uh, broadband or at least uh, dial-up internet. It was more about asking uh, the older guys, how can we do that or that this stuff with uh, limited weathering products or actual mud being uh, and uh, then yeah it was a kind of a revolution slash revelation with the coming of the internet with all these techniques and information and then all the weathering products and stuff and yeah right now my big question is what's gonna happen next in the modeling world i think it's kind of stagnated for five or ten years there's no revolutionary stuff after maybe the hairspray technique and uh, retaining of the enamel stuff after pigments. I feel that our modeling is more or less uh, from the uh, weathering perspective and painting uh, the same point where it was 10 years ago. In general, uh, the kit choice is better and better every day, but the techniques, yeah, I wonder uh, what will be the stuff that I'll try to, ch to test <laughs> next. Who will be the prophets yes. of the <laughs> next decade? Well, maybe it'll be you. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not that innovative. <laughs> it sounds like your formative years were uh, when you were in Russia. And if I'm not mistaken, you kind of met um, Adam Wilder during those years when you were in Russia. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yes, I met him on several occasions. I had a common friend who has uh, died, sadly, this year. And uh, yes, so when Adam was in Moscow and I happened to be there, we met on several occasions, like modeling events, his master classes and stuff like that. Yeah, Adam is a, Adam is a good guy. We've had the opportunity, uh, as you probably know, to speak with him a couple of times. And he's just, it, besides the fact that his modeling is so inspirational, he's just a good dude. Yeah, I had uh, his interview and uh, the, uh, how do you call it, the round table of the Top three armor modelers, J just to feel uh, where they are, comparing to where I am. I enjoyed uh, hearing them chatting around modeling stuff. You know, your work is very well known. I mean, I can only speak for here in the United States, but I can tell you that a lot of us here are big, big fans of your own armor models and your own vehicle models. Thank you. When did you uh, move over to Israel? Well, I moved to Israel at the end of 2013, and uh, while like getting uh, settled here, I had a kind of several years pause in my modeling. Then, I believe well, 2015 maybe, I finished my first model in Israel and uh, then get on. And the last year, the, like almost the entire year, I worked remotely from home and uh, I had like a lot of time for modeling and that was my record of the quantity of the finished models uh, yes and maybe totally have finished here more or less the same uh, quantity of models as in russia for since about 2004 till 2013 something about that when we uh, spoke before you were telling me kind of what uh, being a modeler in israel is like yeah, sure. Well, um, so my feeling after living in Russia, even if not in Moscow, it's kind of a desert, modeling desert in terms of uh, getting stuff. Uh, you can't get almost nothing here locally. Uh, there is a nice but really small online shop in the 
Galilee region, where you can get stuff from Vallejo and uh, AK and Ammo. And basically, that's it. So a model here and there occasionally, but uh, there's no uh, like proper model shop. You can get all the plastic aftermarket supplies and stuff like that. Like 99.9 of my modeling stuff I get on the internet. Yes, I can get the oil paints here, and I actually bought a tube yesterday, but at an art shop. But uh, that's basically it. All the plastic stuff from abroad, uh, resin, whatever. Speaking of modeling community, there is a club and maybe even two clubs. Uh, one of them is definitely the local IPMS. They hold monthly meetings, uh, but I, I don't attend. Uh, I'm not in the club because it's kind of too much of a traffic to get there for me based on uh, the meetings and uh, my location. Here, you see, though Israel is a small country, the traffic is uh, bad in the center of the country in the midweek particular hours, and they don't hold the meetings on weekends. Twice a year, when it's not corona, uh, they make uh, events. Uh, I believe one is a contest, and the other is just general display. So uh, it's only for my club members, and for me, like paying 50 bucks uh, a year and uh, to get uh, to two events to participate uh, like everyone can get and uh, see what's going on on the tables but uh, to put your stuff on the table you have to be a member so for me it's not an option i would prefer okay 10 bucks for participation or whatever based on the quantity of models as it happened uh, like in the major events and uh, there's a phase there are f a couple of facebook groups where people can buy and sell stuff and uh, show their models that is like to have some community and uh, that's basically it there is a tank museum if in latrun where you can get your inspiration and the entrance is uh, rather cheap like eight bucks or so and you get the ability to photograph and climb uh, like whatever you like so some of the tanks have the ladders attached for the general public to get easier access and uh, no one has a problem if you get another tanks wow and inside uh, open top vehicles from, from this point of view, it's much better than any museum. Sadly, there's no runners there. Going to Leitrin would be a dream of mine. I'm a big fan of Israeli armor, and it's got such an interesting history to it. And man, what a great opportunity to be close to it and be able to take advantage of that. Yeah, they are, I believe, then in process of moving what was in Tel Aviv uh, uh, Museum. Uh, the Golden Territory was uh, sold to... How do you call it? Real estate development, and uh, the museum is somewhere uh, in between. So I think that a part of collection is already in Latrun, and uh, over the years, hopefully, they will move uh, other stuff. That museum was also great. They had uh, armor and uh, small arms and various stuff. And uh, as for uh, plane modeling, uh, there is a big open air mu museum near Bashema. It's a bit harder to get there without a car. On public transport, it's an enormous open terrain where you can get all these uh, flying things and uh, even something somehow related to maybe air defense. Going back to uh, modeling and modeling clubs, when you were in Russia, were you active in uh, modeling clubs? Well, actually, in my city, there was there was and uh, no modeling club. They tried to do something, but not as much the modeling uh, kind of communal life, how do you call it, all this interaction between people was uh, around the two shops. Now there is only one left. 
And people went to the shop and met each other, each other and so on. Uh, at the moment, I'm in touch with a couple of guys uh, on the internet that I know from my city. It's kind of medium-sized city, one million inhabitants. And of course, in Moscow and in St. Petersburg, the modeling life is much more, uh, much more bigger. Uh, they have here and there clubs and events and modeling shops and whatnot. Martin was telling us that in uh, Slovakia back in the day that modeling was actually like an Olympic sport in some of the Eastern Bloc countries and that um, there was a lot of support for it from a government perspective. Did you see anything like that in Russia? Well, at the moment, there's nothing of this sort. It can be like some local events uh, and some local authorities will help a little bit here and there, but there's no kind of national program investing into modeling. And uh, I believe in the communist time there was, well, first of all, uh, getting a kit was uh, a big deal. And a foreign kit cost a lot of money, like as any foreign staff, like people paid uh, almost a monthly salary for a pair of good jeans. And the modeling was uh, about the same idea. The deficit was the motto of the day in Soviet times. A deficit in everything, food and uh, modeling as well. Yet uh, there was modeling, just uh, more about technical, like building stuff from scratch, but not to accuracy, but to kind of racing cars, and I believe something like that. Uh, speaking of approach to judging, in Russia there is its own tradition of what's good and bad. There's kind of an old school approach about the accu accuracy. To anyone, it's obvious that there should be no uh, like bad uh, construction stuff, but there's half of guys that are rivet counting and uh, the finish is not important if uh, you don't get the right uh, rivet or whatever. And uh, the more modern approach, I think it's shared by mostly by younger folks. Uh, it's the, quite the opposite, the Spanish school out of the box and uh, yeah, go on, have fun with the painting. So again, it, it's kind of that emphasis on the technical details, making sure that you know, if you're building a T-72, that all of the appropriate equipment is accurate and everything with the model is correct? Yeah, sort of. If this Tiger was made in this specific month or a T-34 went out on a specific factory, it should have all this specific stuff, including those that no one will see under the belly. And that's the thing. For me, personally, modeling activity in Russia was uh, for years about the then most popular modeling contest, an online one. And there was the same attitude that uh, building properly to this, the last rivet is more important than finishing it. Eventually, I made some effort to get a medal there, <laughs> a virtual one. And now that's a lot of uh, online modeling going on. Well, somewhere along the way, I mean, you definitely uh, dove into the finish part of it. I mean, your work yeah. has amazing finish work as well as accuracy. And I had a dial-up internet and uh, I opened a page. The first thing that uh, was displayed was the text and a lot of text, how the guys like built and painted and blah, 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 blah. And then the pictures were loaded and it was totally boring, like piece of green shit. So I decided, okay, uh, it's not exactly the thing that I want to get. Maybe I should start from uh, the finishing part and maybe later on get to the uh, rivets and bolts and stuff like that. <laughs> so that's how my approach was uh, developed. So when was the, uh, the first time that you entered a, a model competition? Actually, my 
experience in model competitions. Offline one is like very limited, almost none. There were no contests, maybe. There was one in my city and there was something, non-competitive events, several, like once in a few years. I believe when I was on a business trip in Siberia, they had a local club event and I brought there my Chinese M4A4 shaman with this eyes, a very distinct, and hieroglyphs, so very distinctive uh, finish. And uh, the guy who was the judge uh, didn't like it at all. <laughs> it was too non, uh, non-normal, not proper. So yes, uh, not much the online. Yes, I participated on that uh, Russian main contest a lot of times. Uh, with the various results and uh, here and there where there is online contest, I send my stuff there. Sometimes I win, other don't. So when you first met Adam, was that for like, a, was he doing like a seminar or a clinic or? Yes, I believe he made a seminar, uh, something along the weathering, the color modulation and stuff like that. I was two times at Mozon show and visited uh, master classes there. And uh, anyway, I believe that uh, Adam's uh, masterclass were the best uh, I attended. He's also good at showing and explaining the stuff that he does. Yeah, and I was sitting close <laughs> also. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, he, he, he is a really good teacher. Yeah, I learned a few tricks from him and uh, uh, something about the stuff to use and how to use it. I mean, after obviously after uh, COVID is over, that uh, you'll be returning maybe to some more interaction with your local community, maybe entering competitions again. Well, in Israel, maybe no idea. It's kind of it's they hold the events in the middle of the week, and it means if I attend, I lose uh, the half of my or entire daily salary. I work hourly, so yeah. Maybe like what I really consider, maybe for the travel bans will be removed, I'll try to compete in motion or whatever other European event. Like I was there seeing the stuff, but like bringing uh, uh, models on a plane just to lose, it's <laughs> too much of an effort. Yeah, definitely when you're traveling internationally, we can see that that would be a challenge yeah the eastern europeans they drive by car like an hour two or three and they are on the location you mentioned in israel you've got to get most of your kits and your aftermarket accessories online you know most of what you're getting locally are just like art supplies and paints but i mean is it when you order something, does it take a long time to get there, or is that something that comes pretty pretty quick? Yeah, this shipping is a big deal. The quick thing is only when you order it from AK or MO sites directly, uh, they provide speed DHL shipping. Otherwise, uh, it's you have to wait. The best time is two weeks. I like ordered a couple of brushes, and it took two weeks, and I was very happy that uh, they arrived so quickly. And uh, yeah, it, on average, we can say it's about a month. And uh, the worst case was uh, the peak of Corona stuff. It took four months to get from Russia. Wow, that's a, that's pretty long time. I think sometimes we're pretty spoiled over here. So yeah. Yeah, the U.S. is perfect. Uh, my sister living in New Jersey, she uses Amazon. It's like two days with a prime or like. So for me, two weeks is a blessing. Uh, like month is uh, like general. Well, I know one of the models that you entered in a competition online, that one was your Merkava 3, and you, you were recognized for that. Are you inspired by Israeli military uh, models, or is it just sort of you, you just like what you like? 
actually living in Israel, I haven't finished here any Israeli subjects, but I have a couple of shell queens, both Merkava and Shermans. And yeah, like when I'm modeling back in the day, my dad packed my brain, uh, taking uh, the test I have to build Israeli stuff. And I built a couple of models. It was this uh, Merkava 3 Dalet and uh, the Nagmahon. It's, for me, it's still my magnum opus. It's a hardcore resin conversion by legend before uh, the plastic ones became available. And it was quite a lot of effort to like simply build it, the thing. With the resin, you have to, every part requires a lot of time to prepare it. And uh, I also built uh, several uh, M50 Shermans. I think I finished two of them. Yeah, I have one shelf queen and uh, one shelf queen M51 Sherman. So that's my record about Israeli subjects. And now I, I'm more after some fancy color finishes. And Israeli armor, it's about like weathering dust and mud effects on more or less the same uh, uh, hockey uh, base. So uh, I consider maybe building a short Gimel that was announced by Amuse and Hobby. We'll see. All right, TJ, I'm going to hand the ball over to you. So I want to kind of circle back to something you said when, when we first started talking, uh, that there's not been any, I guess, revolution in finishing in the last five plus years. And that's not something I really considered until you said it. And yeah, I, that's an interesting point. Like. You're right. There's not really any new techniques, so to speak. But I, I would counter with even without a step forward in technique, just the actual finishes now are so much more complex. And I mean, just ridiculous in a good way compared to, say, 10 years ago. Would, would you agree with that? Well, uh, I haven't collected like this amount of statistics to speak about the average quality of models maybe but like for me there's still stuff by like adam wilder who's uh, for example metal finishes on his uh prague uh, uprising headset or of his griller is uh, just uh, superb and i learned from his articles about them and i don't think that today these models are dwarfed by big quantity of uh, average models so may- maybe like uh, you see with the, the Facebook and stuff like that, more models and modelers who crack on like cool models. And maybe that leads to an aberration or maybe actually, yeah, if we make a hardcore search, we'll get these results that you are talking about. Right, well, I wanted to ask you a co- about a couple of your more recent I oh. I watch the videos by Martin and uh, the streams by Mike Ronaldi and I I get things to learn and practice with oils and whatever other, but it's kind of stuff that is uh, new for me, but not for right. the modeling in general. I, I, I agree that there's not been like a big leap forward in like a new, as far as new techniques goes in a long time, at least as long as I've been modeling, which has only been like nine years, 10 years, something like that. I, I haven't seen anything that like no one's ever done before. So I 100% agree that, as far as actual technique goes, there's not a whole lot of new stuff. There is no new stuff. I would just argue that the number of people that can accomplish those sorts of things that we used to see relegated to, you know, the the heavyweights like Adam and stuff is more that. But like you were saying, that just might be because we're more connected on the Internet. So we have access to more people. Yeah, it's just an interesting point that I hadn't really considered until you said something. 
uh, moving on, I did, I did want to kind of talk about some of your more recent builds. I know the last time we spoke, we brought up a couple ones that uh, John and I really liked. I'm, I want to touch on some of those again. But since that time, you finished one of the Austin Armored Cars from Mini Art, correct? Yes. I just have to ask because I just started building one of those yesterday. How did you find that kit overall? Well, it's a typical Mini Art kit. Cut it into like a bazillion parts, but uh, there's no a big deal in uh, making them fit together. There are no kind of fit issues. And uh, yeah, if you want to build interior, I, I didn't. I was too lazy, but uh, on their side, there's a guy who works with them and uh, builds some Austin with a superb interior finish. And uh, yeah, the kit is uh, very nice. And uh, I like it because of the color options. I would prefer if the Brits back then used the uh, big uh, water cooled Lewis instead of Hotchkiss Portable that are kind of too skinny for like World War One beast. Right. Uh, that's it. Nice kit. I want to build one more maybe in some German finish. Yeah, I, I just, I love... My, my article, I believe it will be in October Modelcraft magazine. Oh, oh okay. That's all. I was just going to ask you if that... I assume that it was going to be published, but... Thank you for clarifying because I, I love that. That's that finish in particular with that like light baby blue on, on the top half is just it's fantastic. With And there's like a little bit of green chipping underneath of it. It's I mean, it's just fantastic. Yeah, the, this blue shade is actually X14 Sky Blue something by Tamiya. And I was introduced to this color by a fellow modelist, a fellow modeler who has the a jar of it reserved for some of his airplane bills. So I like the color and uh, bought a bottle for myself. One of the things that you do on your bills, and I know we mentioned this last time uh, we talked to you, is you like to add these little tiny details that that just kind of like, in my eye anyways, if if I see that, if I see a picture of a, of a model and there's no name accredited to it, if I see a certain thing, I'll know that Ilya did that. So like in your C54 APC conversion from mini art. I believe there's a little tiny stuffed bear. Yes. Yeah. And and sometimes it's a little tiny poster or some little crushed uh, cans. As someone who doesn't have a, I could never think to do that on my own. Where does that inspiration come from? Are, do you see pictures of stuff like that? Or was that just you on the inside thinking this is, if I add this little detail here, this will, this will stand out. Well, uh, both. Well, I think I started when I, like 10 plus years ago, saw this approach on some of the modelers using this stuff by resin companies like Plus Model. The stuff there is by Plus Model, and uh, it uh, began from there. I bought uh, some accessories from whatever was available back then. And uh, speaking of real time reference, real world reference, there are some things. Uh, that are still not done in uh, miniature that I would like to have, like a Shrek figure on a tank, I believe some sort of a Syrian T-72 or uh, like a little hut on a tank. So here and there, there are nice touches. The posters, yeah, they're popular, maybe not with girls, but like some politicians and religious uh, figures. Uh, yeah, you can find it in real life also. And now it's like a golden time. When we have on the one hand all these 3D uh, companies and uh, that bring, and on the other side, the heavyweight mini art that like bring the stuff every month. I believe the last uh, release was uh, the air conditioning and satellite 
at this time I have like a two big boxes of various stuff by Miniard, by some resin and paper, uh, posters and uh, whatnot. I think, yes, I try to add some uh, eye-catchy thing on each and every model. I have some of them paintings, others not, and I play around it. Uh, like I finished my latest model yesterday. It's a Panzer II by Temia, like out of the box completely while I was waiting for the resin wheels for the fire truck to arrive. And I decided to put the like a road sign from Miniart and a box that fit the color and maybe the shape of the model. Yeah, I saw that um, on your Facebook uh, profile. That is absolutely fantastic. It was so well done. Uh, the way you can just kind of, it was heavily modulated. And then with the weathering, just it's a fantastic finish. Thank you. Uh, the last touch of some speckles I added, uh, like watching the yesterday's uh, Mike Ronaldo's stream where he did it. So yeah, that was good. So another build I want to talk about is your uh, Syrian T-54B with, uh, as you put it, fancy fence armor. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, yes, it was inspired uh, by actual photos of two tanks, two different tanks. So one uh, carried this fence armor uh, on the turret and I tried it to replicate it and played around somehow to fit it to make the engine hatches theoretically possible to be opened and the other photos showed a tank with this uh, like fence for the lack of uh, my vocabulary uh, on the hull with these fish-like figures on them and I made these plates from styrene and uh, the fishes of like pieces of wire and uh, the color finish is uh, just to have fun with uh, these colors and weathering along the same lines so it's kind of inspired by but not actually a vehicle one-to-one -one from a specific photo I think this model is now closer to you because it was sold to an American collection eh? my first oh, experience it? yeah there's a Russian-speaking guy in Florida, and uh, I sold, uh, and I was happy that it arrived uh, almost unharmed to him. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, so it's my only experience of selling my stuff. Well, I'm sure whoever has it is, I I would love to have it. It is fantastic. So, kind of playing with that. So, when you when you select a a subject, I feel like I kind of already know the answer, but do you kind of look at a reference photo to be more inspired by it or do you like to find a reference photo and try to like replicate exactly what you see i feel like you just kind of find a good reference and then incorporate that with whatever else you have going on and you're just your own fantastic imagination into creating what you do well it's uh what drives me to select a specific model to build it it can be originated from several sources it can be as you said uh, some photo uh, it can be like a release by a company or a model by another modeler or whatever like i'm trying to remember uh, i have last year i built a btr 70 with uh, another sort of it's actually not fence it's like a, a window armor sort of it's like typical window bars uh, used uh, in Russia and uh, other post-Soviet countries to, uh, to prevent burglary, uh, is that the right term? 
for illegal access in the, into home. Right, right, By yeah. Way, okay. And uh, when I saw a photo of it in the Ukraine conflict, wow, that was so cool. I really loved the, this idea. Then I downloaded like hundreds of uh, photos of Ukrainian armor from lostarmor.info, I believe, site. That's a real treasury of Ukrainian war and other conflicts armor, both KO and uh, intact. And I searched for uh, other BTRs and I found one like this with the window frame armor was from the Ukrainian side and another source of inspiration with a shark mouth thing was from the rebel side. So uh, then I mixed both ideas into my model. So it's kind of no photo reference for this specific finish, but it again was taken from two different sources. And uh, now speaking of uh, this uh, Mina that we talk, talked about, the Austin, I have never considered uh, any Austin before they released it and this fancy British finish, this uh, the T5455 series. Uh, well, back like 15 years ago, I thought that it's like all boring, thin, all green and uh, stereotypic uh, Soviet armor. But nowadays, uh, with all these local conflicts and uh, crazy finishes, yeah, it makes me be interested in this topic. And have the Minat not released their series, I would go for maybe Tecom. They also have T5455 and stuff like that. So yeah, uh, I'm aware of uh, I'm aware of one Minat upcoming project, and I want it. <laughs> it's top secret, but believe me, it's <laughs> like a theme that is absolutely unique for the 35th scale, and I believe other scales as well. So. The armored car I'm working on is the first mini art kit that I've built. I, I own a couple that I haven't built. I, I find I like their their subjects. I think they pick a lot of really unique subjects. And I know their T-54, T-55 series is, I mean, they have like one version of like every version that's ever been made. Yeah. Especially that the APC one. That's been on my list for a long time. And then since I've known about it, and of course, seeing yours, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I definitely have to get that just with the yeah, blue. You, you can and make an uh, even more crazy conversion. I think I saw something with even uh, Chinese uh, sort of MLRS little, this uh, Type 63 or something. They have this kit separate, put on these chassis of T-54 and something like arrangement for whatever team atop of it, team member, crew member atop of it. Uh, that would be the most crazy <laughs> conversion, I believe. <laughs> I like those T-55s that have the jet engines mounted on the top for melting snow on runways. Those are really yeah. cool. Yeah, I would really love to build this one and a bunch of other engineering stuff on these chassis. On a whole, just kind of on a more broad subject, do you prefer modern subjects or I guess like World War II and earlier subjects? What What, do, what is your preferred? If you walked into a model shop and you had money to spend and you wanted to buy a kit, would you gravitate towards something more modern or something kind of old? Well, maybe it depends on my mood and uh, my actual stash. Uh, I have a very tiny stash of plastic kits. They're much more on the chemicals side, but kits, it's less than 10. So if I feel that uh, I have a, some idea, I would lean towards it. And maybe now, okay, I have, I waited for several releases by Zvezda, MiniArt, and Amusing Hobby, and uh, CSM. I want this stuff. But on the other hand, okay, I've built this Tamiya 
answer to. And yeah, that's maybe not a bad idea to get the keto two or three by Temia just to build it in between serious subjects. So yeah, it depends on the moment. But in general, yes, some uh, maybe World War One or modern stuff uh, to make something special, unique, to challenge myself. And World War Two is, yeah, more or less know what was the finishes and armor there. It's more like maybe relaxing or something that I really want to build like an uh, T-34 of the STZ yeah. plant that there's only one uh, dragon kit and it's not that good. So I'm kind of ignorant. What what makes that factory different than like a I guess a regular standard standard T thirty four? They kind of more like a brutal and uh, uh, when you get the profile, what I want to on this gun mantlet, it's not like a broken. It's like a straight kind of forty five degrees angle and it looks more aggressive. And the turret is like also looking a bit aggressive to my taste, more like rougher looking very unique and it was also one of the first uh, 76 variants where they threw all steel wheels on them uh, without any rubber tires at all it's just it's a really striking variant of the t-34 76 okay yeah i don't know a whole lot about t-34 i like t-34s but it's not really what i focus on you know finding out little tidbits about but that's interesting yeah, those who dig uh, and dive deep into T-34, they get crazy about like the specific plant and the month of finish and so on. Still not as bad as tigers, though. Yeah, the, the, the tigers, I believe it's several number and crew members <laughs> exactly. and mechanic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shift one. Yeah. At, rolled out of factory 10, uh, 45 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Something 20 exactly. seconds. Dragon made a model of that, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, I know Dragon has like a model of literally every tiger that was ever built. So you said you only have like 10 kits in your in your stash. Yeah, it's by about like five shell queens and five uh, unstarted plus minus give or take. So, yeah, being far away from modeling shops helps. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess so. I mean, I wish I could say I only had five. You probably you can't see it, but there's like two, three huge shelves behind me, just completely full, and and there's another one like on the other side of this camera. Plus everything, I got like four kits being built. So what are what are your shelf queens? My shelf queens, there are two Merkavas, Merkava one and uh, three. There M fifty Sherman and M fifty one Sherman. Uh, there's a Panzer three that I wanted to try and paint like two colors, uh, winter versus uh, African core finish. And I felt miserable and removed the paint. Uh, maybe there is something else that I forgot following some Freudistic uh, <laughs> reason. <laughs> so you said you, but you have a large uh, chemical collection. So like yeah. lots of paints and what is, what's your preferred paint? Well, uh, it depends for uh, which task, like for general airbrushing, it's Temi acrylics. I love them. They're predictable. The Quality is stable over years. It's kind of the same high-end quality that you got 10 years ago and you can use the bottle 10 years after. Uh, I believe that uh, guns uh, acrylic are more or less the same. I just uh, didn't have them much in Russia and now, okay, then more or less I can deal with Tamiya. 
And I use mostly acrylics to avoid odors and I dilute them with uh, alcohol. When my family was on vacation, I used this uh, more stinky yellow cap. And I'm a little lacquer thin or whatever. Uh, yes, and I try to, yes, to reduce the smell and uh, the unavoidable, the only unavoidable smelly chemicals in the airbrush cleaner by Tamiya. Like when I brush Vallejo colors uh, and their proprietary non-smelly cleaner is okay, but like not for others, other paints. And for uh, brush paint, all the Spanish acrylics, be it Vallejo, I'm okay. And uh, the same uh, about like all the animals and oils, whatever I can get. The animals, yeah, they're mostly by AK and Ammo. I use also uh, texture paste, paste by Wilder. And oils, it's like everything. There's several brands of artistic oils, uh, AK, Ammo, Wilder. Uh, they're more or less comparable. Right. They have their nuances uh, in the packaging. The Wilder have uh, their own issues in packaging, some, uh, and uh, the old brushes, uh, at least old Aptilung packaging is, yeah, not perfect. Like, what is pa- packaging perfect is artistic wins or Newton oils, <laughs> at least for me. Right. And uh, when you use them and use them properly, they're good, all of them. So what uh, what's your, like, your modeling space look like? Do you have a big bench or a small bench? No, not a big bench. I believe like uh, hardly much more than a yard, yard and a half long. And it's kind of corner in the living room. So it's not a separated room or whatever. And uh, there's uh, some stuff under the table and uh, the drawer is near it. And uh, some other stuff is uh, stored uh, in the closet. So uh, there is a cheap compressor like... uh, not the, this really small, but like, okay, uh, less than 100 bucks. Okay. Actually, it's like a two compressors that I have. The older ones, it has some air leakages and whatever, and it switches on and on and uh, overheats and makes noisy. I put it aside and uh, draw the newer one. And uh, my airbrush is like almost everything I do with a dirt cheap eBay airbrush, like 20 bucks. Something it's like good for anything aside very shiny, uh, very thin lines, and uh, there you can throw the thin and get a new one and do not regret about it. <laughs> that's uh, that's really impressive. No, I'm even um, more impressed now. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I try to use this more fancy Haran Stiebeck or Haran Steinbeck, and anytime I tried several of them and I had problems uh, like with the fragility of the. Uh, nozzles and uh, it was hard to get them. I avoided it and then I broke my perfect water and now it's quality like not much better than this eBay no name. It's just more ergonomic in hand. So yeah, that's the sad story about my brushes. There's another build that I wanted to ask you about. And I know we talked about it before and it's, I mean, we've already talked about T54s and T55s, but it's the African Union T55, the all white one. Yeah, that's... I just want to say that that for me that build is very inspirational. And when I when Tommy came out with their 148 scale T55, I built mine in all white with African Union livery, and yours was a big inspiration to that. How how difficult is it to paint an all white vehicle like that? Because I know I struggled with it, and I still I don't know if I would ever do it again because it, it was very hard for me. 
How, how yeah, did you find absolutely. it? For me also, and uh, I had an experience where I miserably failed. It was a uh, trumpeter, Chantauro. Uh, Chantauro. It's quite a challenge. It's much more challenging for me than building a winter finish. It's kind of have this. First of all, you need to get the opacity and to somehow get the proper tone of weathering. And eventually, my approach was uh, instead of playing around this dust, proper dust color that will go well with the white. I found that uh, using uh, rust effects is uh, much more uh, like looks better with this white finish and this uh, orange and maybe reddish hues are really good comparing to the white background. So uh, yeah, that was my workaround. Uh, maybe one day I will try another more like dusty look, but uh, yes, n not today. <laughs> It's really challenging, and uh, speaking of inspiration for that model, for years I considered building and challenging myself with the UN White, and one of my friends finished, I think, a BTRs something in uh, White, and it looked cool, BTR80, I believe. It was uh, published in uh, Abram Squad, I believe, in the BTR issue. He also did a great job with his uh, earthworks there, and for me, one of sort of inspiration was uh, some sort of engineering, mind clearing T55 by Harry Hemilia, whatever the pronunciation is there. And another, it's actual photo of this vehicle with a totally rusty, whatever handmade uh, fenders. And I thought, yeah, that could be good. From there, I went on and tried to build it as close to the photo as possible, asking the guys that digged this, that had digged the subject of T55, but I screwed up this exact type of the lotus hatch and uh, from then i decided okay let's make it more artistic than per photo 100 percent the little uh lawn chairs on the rear deck where did where did those come from the little uh little the chairs, chairs. Oh, okay yeah. i think i bought them from hobby easy some uh, no-name company and they were really nice before miniat released their plastic and other 3d companies released there yeah i the it's because uh, they're like blue and red, and it's just a like a little neat little splash of color on the back of the, the tank. It's really cool. It's again, it's one of those things that you add to your builds that I think anyone that is looking at it be like, oh, that's that's an Ilya model for sure. Yeah, well, actually, this is uh, like a moderate approach to building the stuff from the African tanks. They tend, to, well, I have photos that they stole like whatever. Uh, plastic jerry cans and uh, uh, plates for food or whatever <laughs> in like huge quantities. So yeah, I I have a bunch of uh, reference photo photos mainly of like T fifty four T fifty five obviously that yeah there's like a bunch of weird random stuff yeah. just like stacked on top of them and you you look at the pictures like that's that's really strange but like. Yes, that's a, the, that's a great modeling opportunity. Absolutely, yes. The weirdness of all the stuff that they carry can easily humble the typical Sherman Normandy stowage. Oh, yeah, because that's just boxes. Yeah, some random shit that they carry on in metal. <laughs> Maybe a bicycle here and there. Well, my favorite models of yours, Ilya, are your Mini Art SU-85, the one with the red ladder. I really, really like that build. Can you repeat it? Which one with the red ladder? The Mini Art SU-85. It has a red ladder on the top of it. A ladder. Sorry, I had letter. Yeah, it's it's actually Zvezda kit, but Mini Art also has a SU-85. Yes, it was uh, like a 
a model that I bought during the Corona thing, and uh, I needed to build something with my little stash. <laughs> so I quickly bought it and uh, built it. I really like this new Vesda generation of T34 things. They're much better than their old, and uh, yeah, easy to build and uh, accurate enough. I also really like your Spanish Civil War BT-5. Yeah, that was a more unique thing. This, uh, the whole of this BT-5 was some obscure resin conversion, and hardly is it available now. And the turret was taken from Tamiya BT-7. And yeah, I wanted to build something uh, special and uh, unique color finish, and that was the idea behind this build. Yeah, that uh, that turret with the red and the yellow all the way around it certainly is distinctive. Yeah, initially I wanted to make it like even more unique by uh, making it's like a nationalist red, uh, yellow, red as far as I remember, and uh, the Republicans would have had uh, red, uh, yellow, purple something, but there was not enough uh, kind of reference to corroborate this idea that that could be actually Republican and uh, purple bent. So I went the this scheme. So one question for you. You had posted a while back some questions on a Warhammer tank, and you and TJ had collaborated a little bit on that. And so is that a subject that you plan on maybe tackling in the future? Yes, I consider some of this, whatever, call it sci-fi for me, it's sci-fi whether it's gaming or not, like some futuristic something. Yes, I consider, I checked, but well, <laughs> for me, it's kind of why. 50 bucks plus shipping on a kit that is uh, not exactly the level of the normal top-end AFV kit. And like yesterday and a day before, I considered checking what's about the machine and Krieger that you guys mentioned when we talked last time. And this suits, it's about same or even bigger pricing maybe i'm searching in the wrong place yeah i have to like let this idea to ferment inside my brain for some time to invest into this field but definitely yeah i consider if, if it will be some warhammer tank why not to finish it uh like winter gray white blue something finish i don't know that would be a little too far for a normal arctic camouflage of a real-world vehicle. And TJ, I would really like to see Ilya's take on a machine and Krieger kit. That would be awesome. Oh, 100%. So on, on Facebook, if you don't already follow Lincoln Wright's uh, Paint on Plastic group, um, he does uh, a lot with the machine and Krieger. He's the ambassador for the, for the yeah, brand actually, out of Japan. And recently, I subscribed uh, to his channel about the Facebook. I'm not sure I got to check. Yeah, really inspiring. Really inspiring work over there on the Machine and Krieger stuff. Uh, is it the guy that, I believe it's on your podcast, one of the LA episodes, who told about being sort of apprentice for this Japanese uh, guru sensei? Yeah, to me it was like a very weird to hear about this approach and being in contact with uh, armor modelers, like Western armor modelers. It's kind of normal people. It's no attitude of the cult of personality or stuff like that. For me, it's uh, this was the most kind of striking thing about this interview. So I, I do know that this may sound ignorant because I, I obviously do not know that much about it. But from what I gather, modeling is treated differently in uh, Japan and in the East than it is in the West. 
I mean, I think I want to say maybe it was like Mike Rinaldi was telling us someone someone told us I don't remember who it was that like they they treat it like actual like art. You you can go to like an art gallery and instead of paintings, there's Gundam figures on like pedestals. and You walk around and you look at them like that's that's how they treat it. Some not everyone, obviously, but there are a certain aspects of their culture that that's that's how they view it. That's awesome. But that is so different than how we look at it here. Well, and last time, yes, we talked about whether modeling is art or not. Oh, yeah, right. That's yeah. a question. And the answer was, uh, it's not that important. You can, like, modern art, a fart, it can be an art. And <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, if your attitude is art, it's okay. My attitude, it's hobby. It's definitely not the art of the Renaissance masters level, but okay, why not? So more of a craft than a hobby. Well, a craft, a craft in the sense that you like pottery and you produce your pottery and sell it on the spot. Maybe tiny quantity of modelers who like build a model and sell it and build a model every week for sale. It's more about craft. And for uh, most, I think it's hobby. It's more of uh, investing money than anything from it. Would it be like a proper craft? So you had a you had an interesting post on Facebook um, about what's more important in modeling: accuracy or artistic finish. I think going back to look at it, you agree that artistic finish is is more important. Would that be uh, fair to say? Yes, for me personally, yes. Uh, it's my approach. Others cannot share it, may not share it, and it's okay uh, until they, oh, we don't spoil the life of the uh, believers of the other uh, heretical <laughs> approach, whatever you call it. So yeah, for me, the artistic value is more important than the pure accuracy. When I look at the model, and I think the most most of people when you're not familiar with the subject and you have no idea what this specific tank should have had on this, uh, like, whatever engine deck, uh, which hatch should be of a different shape. Okay, it looks good. Who cares? I have a two-part question for you, Ilya. First of all, what is your favorite model that you've ever built? Which one of your builds is your favorite? Well, my magnum opus was this uh, resin Nagmachon, both in terms of this challenge of building a resin kit, though uh, Legends resin is not the worst one that uh, like people talk about. And uh, I tried to uh, make the weathering based on a bunch of cool reference photos to make it based on the real life. As for later ones, uh, I think that my favorite is this uh, T54 APC because of the subject itself and then the colors and, and uh, that was interesting and challenging for me and uh, the, these models i would kind of emphasize okay and so having said that those are your favorites what is if you were judging uh, with a critical eye your own builds in say a model competition what's the best model you've ever built which one is the the one that you would give the gold medal? Well, of these two, I would go for... Uh, maybe I'll go for Nagmachon, uh, because uh, the finish, uh, 
more or less comparable, though the bright finish has its own challenges. But I'd say for me, it was uh, more pain in the butt to build it. I have some experience of judging uh, like little online contests since it's quite different. You don't have to like four or six hours uh, be inside this stuff uh, instead of enjoying life in the event. And yeah, what's more important actually, maybe it's also the judge's subjective approach uh, on the one hand and the system. If you judge by criteria and criteria A has 10 points maximum and criteria B like five points, yeah, it it's, uh, implies that uh, like weathering is more important than building or building is more important than weathering or whatever the judges are. Certainly appreciate though. I think that a lot of judging systems where the build is prioritized, you know, the construction, I guess, is probably a better term for that is because I think that so many of the judges aren't going to be as familiar with the subject. So it's really hard to assign accuracy as a criteria. And the same thing with the colors of paint and the accuracy of the finish, because those areas require a lot more expertise than looking at a scene that wasn't filled correctly. So I think that that's a big element of that is just wanting to use criteria that becomes hopefully more objective and less subjective. Yeah, the the right shade of whatever Duncan Gamble or uh, 4BO or Volive Drab is complete bullshit for me because there is no single in the real life. Even if somehow all these shifts in all the plants use the same shade, it will be faded differently. <laughs> That's right. That tiger that was made that Thursday at 1045 had a little bit different color Duncan Gamble than the one last week. So, yep. I agree with that 100%. I mean, sure, somewhere there is the right olive drab or whatever, but that to me is inconsequential to how you apply it to your model. If you want your olive drab to be browner, then paint it browner. If you want it greener, paint it greener. To me, it's, at the end of the day, it's the person applying the paint, absolutely building the model. They should have the final say on whether or not that's what it should be, right? Like that's more important. The finished product. And then the person painting it and the enjoyment they get out of it is more important than is that the right shade of color, you know, because I've seen real olive drab and real 4BO and models painted like that in my eye don't look as good as maybe more fantastical, you know, versions of those colors. That's, of course, just my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, like the 4BO can be like any shade. And if you build a duck, we... Uh, that's the right name for this uh, floating uh, Jeep, D-O-K-W, you call it Dakwe. Okay, it's more or less green or tan. Okay, if it's not like bright yellow, it's fine. But if it's bright yellow, okay, it's also fine. But for the DC 2021, when they still run this stuff, at least when it was in 215, I was shocked to see the Dakas running for tourists there. It's wow. <laughs> they keep it in running condition like everyday use for like 70 years. Yes. Well, another stuff that uh, I do in my modeling, a part of my modeling is publishing. Uh, I try to publish each and every model. Not all of them get published, but some I do, and uh, sometimes in several languages. So uh, that's another part. The magazine that are good or, or less good <laughs> to contributors, and 
some editors I also had them on podcast and you can like invite them also uh, I send my stuff to like British AFV modeler and uh, model craft and all this guideline uh, family and in Russian there's single magazine and from time to time I actually two times published somewhere in line in the modeler magazine I believe it's around the Czech or Republic of Slo Slovakia and that's my experience about publishing and uh, it's not a source of income for living but it's kind of covers the modeling expense if you don't like go and buy uh, an entire shop of things every week <laughs> so with with your publishing are are do the editors reach out to you or do you when you when you start a build you build it obviously i mean you said you try to get everything published so i'm assuming you know when you sit down to do a build you get every you build it thinking you're gonna send it to someone or or the editors asking you hey do you have anything you can submit well mostly it's uh, in most cases not in all but most cases that's me uh, going to editors and sending a letter okay i have this model let me know if you're interested here are the test shots i can uh, provide you with the high-res step-by-step stuff and the finished and so on and yes, when I start a project, I consider uh, whether it's be relevant for publishing and uh, speaking about uh, these new releases. On the one hand, yeah, a magazine would like to see a new release. And on the other hand, other guys would like to <laughs> submit it also. <laughs> so that should be considered. Right. Ila, do you have anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to, to talk about? Oh, that would be great. Uh, some ideas about the best thing and place to buy from all this uh, Warhammer 40k and uh, this machine and Krieger stuff. Uh, so I will say, if if you're interested in building something from like Warhammer 40,000, we can talk after this and I can see about getting something sent to you um, in Israel. So if I have to, I can send it to you myself. We'll 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 figure some. We'll get something set up because, like I said, I have a lot of stuff, and uh, I'm never going to build everything. So we'll, we'll offline. We'll we'll set something up, and um, we'll try to work something out. And uh, what's your family's opinions on your stashes and modeling? By the way, that's a topic in and of itself of our uh, whatever roundtable. <laughs> uh, so. You know, me pers me personally, um, my wife doesn't really care about my stash. It's down in the, we have a basement. That's where I am now. So it, it's out of sight, out of mind. She, I have one cabinet in our bedroom that I put finished models in and she does not like it, mm -hmm. but, uh, she's got to pick everything out, everything else out in the house. So in, in my opinion, I'm like, I can have one and I have another cabinet. You can probably see it back there, but I also have two cabinets and then one's upstairs in the bedroom mm -hmm. and that's where I put. A fair amount of stuff, so uh, that that so she doesn't really care. She thinks it's interesting. Mm. You know, I show her models when I'm done with them, and she's like, "Oh, that's nice, cool, okay." And uh, that's as far as we get. That's useful. <laughs> it's pretty similar for me too. My wife is a crafter. She makes uh, she does paper crafting, makes cards, does scrapbooking, and you know, we we both kind of support each other um, in our hobby. And she actually. Uh, helps me out sometimes i'll send her uh, upstairs uh, with a 
decal sheet to scan. She'll scan it and then do the artwork and then cut paint masks for me. Well, in, in my case, uh, my wife is uh, not happy about the time investment, not the money part. Yeah. Because the kids and uh, you are doing your stuff instead of... <laughs> it's modeling that. Uh, yes. Yeah, I do. I hear about that mostly the time that I spend all my time down here. But other than go to work and mountain bike, this is this is all I do is, is model and obviously the podcast. But that's... Com- I view the podcast as like an extension of modeling. Awesome. Well, uh, Ilya, th- this has been a lot of fun. We really appreciate you. Thank you for being patient with us and coming back on to talk about your your hobbies. Um, another just kind of plug. Don't know if you've seen it on our Facebook page, but we put together a group build for M3, M4, Lee and Sherman chassis vehicles. TJ is kind of the one running that. So not sure if you'd be interested in uh, doing one and shipping it over to us, but we're going to show up to the IPMS USA Nationals with hopefully a whole bunch of vehicles. So check that out, that out if you get a chance. Well, I, actually, I heard uh, this on your latest uh, podcast episode about that. And yeah, being inspired by like Martin's uh, Concrete Armor Sherman, I considered building something about that. Also 48th scale or maybe Tesca 35th, but leaving the concrete in gray, not painted at all in drab. And yeah, uh, if it's relevant for the group build, I'd like to make it one day. So you have like a year till your deadline and it's okay with the postage of one month, it's still 11 or how much, 10 and a half months left. Yep, exactly. Well, uh, again, thank you so much for for joining us and uh, look forward to uh, maybe having you on again, talking to you again. See ya. Well, take care. We'll talk soon. All right, guys. Thanks. That was a great interview. Ilya is a pretty fascinating guy. Uh, Ilya is amazing um, on more than one level. Uh, first of all, the dude is an unreal modeler. I mean, just unreal. I easily put him up there with probably one of the the best armor modelers producing right now. And and he has he has what I think a lot of us would love to have is that, you know you could look at a model and you know if if Ilya did it. And, yeah. and I know for me personally, I would kill to have that. Just he has, and we talk about it in, a, in you know, we talked about it in the interview. He just has, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just a touch to his models that, that when they're done, it, it, you look at him like Illy did that and it's banging. Yeah. That, that recent uh, broken down fire engine he did is just unbelievable. And what I, what I found fascinating, TJ, is, you know, he mentioned several times kind of growing up in a modeling sense in Russia in a community where the finish of the models wasn't really valued. It was all about the construction and the and the accuracy and not about the finish. And yet out of that environment, he has developed this unbelievable, like you said, unmistakable style and craft to the finish of his models. Yeah, it's I I mean I have just a hard time putting it into words that it, it, he, it's just one of those things where it looks and, and it probably is. So I'm not, I'm not trying to discount it, but every single thing 
on a, on that model is deliberate. Every little paint chip, every little everything, every little tiny detail looks like that meant to go there, but it looks like it belongs there and not it's not shoehorned in there. If that makes sense. That 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 right there is one of those intangible quali- qualities that that makes the truly great modeler, in, in my opinion. And of course, feel free to disagree with me, but that's what I see that the Adam Wilders and the Micronaldis and the um, the Martin Kovacs they have that touch that like I it's you can't I just have a hard time describing it, and, and that's not to me. I don't know if that's something that can be taught. Hopefully it is because I want someone to teach me how to do it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's oh man, just good, just good stuff. Yeah, you know, I think what I've appreciated most about his build is he attacks colors that I find extremely daunting. Um, on his armored car, he had that light blue on the top. He did the red fire truck. Now he has the yellow tractor. I mean, these colors are not typical for armor modelers and. In all honesty, when I try to use them, I, I, I always, they're either bleached or extreme, just, just like, just cloudy when you try to let it just, he nails it though. And that's what I love most about his builds is understanding how to work with those difficult colors outside of the typical palette for an armor modeler. And he just flawlessly executes it. TJ, you talked about deliberate things on builds, you know, look at his fire truck. I keep going back to it because there's so much interest one of the sides has the panels kind of, I don't know if they're torched off or they're falling off, but inside the, the colors are different. They're stained, they're rusty. There's some green moss in there. I mean, it's, again, it's, it's next level. He's, he's one of the best uh, in the world. And, and I certainly admire all of his work and I follow it every damn day uh, on, on Facebook and, and his print stuff too. His articles are great. Oh yeah. He's an extremely prolific author, I guess, a published modeler. I, I don't know how you would describe that, um, but yeah, just extremely prolific. All right. Uh, you know, with, with, with Ilya's great discussion, um, you know, at that conclusion, we're going to go over to our special guest. I know we've talked to him a lot already. You know, we mentioned his name countless times and his brand, Steve from Value Gear. We're going to do a short modeler's minute segment with you. Thanks again for joining us. You know, we've talked about value gear a lot. We've talked about the modeling side. What about, you know, outside of that? Tell us a little bit about yourself um, and then how you got into scale modeling. All right. So um, like most people, uh, I was about 10 or 11, 12 years old. And my dad got me a model kit and we got started. And he had built a couple things uh, over the years, but uh, he was kind of terrible at it. Didn't uh he didn't uh he wasn't a patient person you know he's the type of guy we used to play a lot of war games like squad leader and panzer blitz and stuff like that but you know he'd beat the shit out of my 12 year old ass but you know if he was losing to one of his friends like he'd, he'd flip the board over you know he was just like pissed off so but yeah so you know he got me kind of started modeling and probably the first really real model kit i ever built was a, a german 222 armored car it's just, I just loved the way it looked. I thought it was really cool. And I've got two since then that I plan on building just to remind myself of why I love the hobby so much. But, but yeah, that got me, that got me started in model building. And, you know, as I got older, I got a little better and, you know, probably through my twenties and thirties, you know, I was getting, getting pretty decent at it, but you know, I'm not pro level, you know, it's just, uh, I, I just love to build and paint and, 
you know, I'm okay with the out of the box. I don't have to move a hatch two millimeters or anything like that. I'm not that, that critical about the kits. So outside of armor, what other, uh, subjects do you like to model? Uh, I, I really like the sci-fi stuff. I think it's really, it's really fun. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really liking this war game stuff too. I think the war game kids are the future of our hobby, you know, of the model building. I mean, you know, right now they like to build and paint and, and, you know, play some games, but as these guys get older, they're probably going to be more into, you know, the bigger display kits and stuff like TJ there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's really, I, I don't know. I'd like to see more of those kids start and get involved in the clubs too. You know, they could learn a lot. And, and, and I mean, a lot of the sculpting stuff I learned, you know, I watched war game guys on YouTube, you know, okay, that's a cape. That's cool. But I could turn that, you know, instead of a cape, I could make a, you know, a tarp roll or a blanket, or I could do a lot of things. I learned a lot from watching what the war game kids do. Uh, what is the modeling community like in Flagstaff? Uh, say what? There's nobody. Yeah. Is, is there one? Yeah, there's nobody. <laughs> I've, I've actually gotten like two orders from guys in Flagstaff. Really? Over the past few years. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I kind of get in touch with them and I'm like, oh, cool. You know, and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll get together. We could have a little, you know, a little group, little club, maybe even invite the war game kids, you know, but. Yeah, and then I email them and say, hey, I'm going to this show. You want to go? And they're like, just crickets, man. I don't hear nothing from them. So, yeah, so I have, a shame. I have to do a five-hour round trip down to Andy's and hang out on a Saturday just to talk to, you know, all the locals and stuff. Um, but, yeah, there's nobody. I mean, you know, I, I, like right now is a good time. I wish somebody would come over and just take some pictures of this new stowage stuff I got for me because, you know, that way I can keep casting but I have to stop casting so I can take pictures. So I, then I got to spend a, you know, a day at, you know, editing all the pictures so I can make a, you know, add it to the website and eBay and all that. And, and that's one of the things that slows me down. You know, I don't have any friends to chip in when I need it. I mean, we can send you money. You can send us those sets and then we can take pictures for you and send them back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's too late now. I got to do it. Andy's on my ass, man. Andy wants this shit out. He wants them. He wants them. He wants people to start getting them. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't utilize the community as much as I should. You know, there's lots of people that would love to just, you know, get it, take some pictures, and send them back for me because I, you know, I'm not good at taking pictures. And I, I used to. I, I know a couple of people who yeah. are. Yeah, I know. I, I do too. I need to. I, I need to. I need to pay attention to my resources a little better so you got to get your minister of propaganda to hook you up man and, yep, and yep. connect you with the people see that's why we got we got to move him out here and uh, <laughs> he, can, uh, he can manage me <laughs> you know it's it, you know it's not that i don't work hard because I, I mean I, I work all the time that's all i do i sit around and i listen to audiobooks and punk rock and uh, you know cast stuff or sculpt stuff or Sometimes I'm, I'm in slow motion. Sometimes I'm in like speed mode, but I'm just, uh, it's all I do is, is, is work on this stuff. But, uh, you know, being a one man show, sometimes it's, it's hard, you know, you know, one thing, Steve, you mentioned at, uh, Nats that kind of resonated with me is, you know, you do it to have fun. You know, if you're not having fun, you're not going to do it. Right. And right, you know, it, right. it seems like it's giving you a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, and and I and I, I don't get to build a lot of models these days, but I like the casting too. 
I mean, the, the manufacturing aspect, it's like a game to me. I mean, I spent my whole life in printing, you know, screen printing t-shirts for people. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we'll get 300 shirts an hour on this automatic, you know, or we can get 700 shirts an hour, you know, if we change this or that or whatever, you know, I like the game of like trying to make it more efficient, and uh, productive. And, uh, you know, I've been pretty good at that. And, uh, you know, just trying to keep the prices, the prices low and, you know, limit the packaging and not everything needs to be in a big box, you know, but, but that's fun for me too. But I would like to build a model every once in a while. And that's something I got to figure out. Maybe, maybe I just Can't need another her, bench. I, I, I think I'm just going to build another bench in the house instead of out here in the garage. So maybe I can just change scenery every once in a while. Yeah. You mentioned packaging. So this kind of goes to the name. When, when did you, th- what, what made you think of the name value gear? Well, I guess, you know, I'll just give you the little rundown of how I got started because, yeah. you know, I always built models on and off throughout my life. I never really, uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is pretty much where I'm from. I spent my, almost my whole life there and, uh, you know, but I was never involved in the clubs or anything like that because I didn't have time because I was just, you know, worked at the print shop 60 or 80 hours a week. And, you know, I'd come home and maybe mess with models for a couple hours here and there. Verlinden made me do it. They made me do it because every tank I had on the shelf had the same three tarp rolls forever. And, you know, I just got tired of seeing the same tarp rolls over and over. I mean, they make beautiful other stuff, but tarp rolls was, you know, something they did not do well. They didn't do many. They didn't do a lot of choices. And that's why I I chose to figure it out. So, you know, I kind of tinkered around a little bit and, you know, started to understand how to make them. But, you know, I still didn't really have time because of the, you know, having the print shop and my wife got an opportunity to go to Ireland for two years to work. And that gave me a chance to get rid of the print shop, get out of that whole life before I dropped dead in there with all the stress and everything. And I went to, uh, went to Ireland and then that gave me the time to be daytime dad and figure out how in the hell to, to make the, uh, make stowage stuff. And that's what I really wanted to do. It, it seemed fun. And, uh, something I could do from anywhere. So that's the way I went. In terms of dates, Steve, when do you think value, what year did value gear start? Are we talking 2010, 12th timeframe? Man, I only been doing fifth grade math with my daughter. That's, ah. that's hard to figure that out. It's about, it's been about 10 years because, okay. I, because we were in, in Dublin for two years. And then we were in Lake Havasu city, which is a terrible place to live for four years <laughs> and now we've been in Flagstaff yes, about four it, yes years. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe nine years because, you know, the first year I was just kind of figuring out how to roll tarp rolls and figure out where to buy resin in Ireland and things like that. And then, you know, my IPMS club in, in Dublin, greatest guys ever, like they were my, they were my test guys. They were the guys I bounced stuff off of. And, you know, they, they taught me a lot and I taught them a lot and, you know, it's just a good bunch of people. So no, great, great, Steve. So, you know, when you started it back in, you know, about nine years ago, how did you start? You know, how did you determine kind of what resin to pick? What kind of equipment to have? Was that all through your research and kind of development in, in Dublin? Yeah. When, when I was still in North Carolina, I I'd bought a few resins and just tried copying a few things, you know, just for my own, my own tanks. You know, if I get a couple rolls out of a Tamiya kit and a couple rolls out of a Verlinden kit, and I'd, I'd maybe copy a few, you know, for my next tank. And I had a 
really terrible luck at it. Like it was so humid there. I had a lot of trouble. So, so I, I knew like a resin to start with when I got to Dublin, you know, and then I was having some trouble with air bubbles and I'd ask them and they're like, go, f- you know, f- you want faster resin because of the humidity, because it rains all the time. It's always cold. So the faster resin actually made a big difference, but you know, it was, uh, it was kind of hard in Dublin. I mean, you know, I didn't have a car or anything like that. So it's like, I'd walk like pushing the baby buggy really far and then I'd be carrying this like five pound vacuum pump back from some, you know, weird industrial supply place, you know, for miles, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and I was always pushing the baby buggy uphill, getting, you know, carrying five bags of groceries, getting whipped in the face with rain and hail. But, but yeah, I don't know. It just, it took a little time. I mean, you know, I had some, some failures and stuff, but like my failure right now here in Arizona is like almost zero. Like I, you know, I almost don't have any trouble at all because it's so dry. Yeah. But humidity makes a big difference in casting. And painting too. Yeah. You, you're like in the perfect spot. Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. You go to paint a room in the house. Like as soon as you, you start by the light switch and by the time you get around to it again, you can just start your second coat. I mean, that shit dries yeah. fast. I mean, you thin everything. Like, even my, my model paints, like I thin the shit out of everything. I'd rather do two 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 smooth coats than uh, like I, I've always been a brush painter, you know. Like so, right. I do like two two really thin coats, and I kind of like that too because it gives you a little more variation in color. Without you know, you can paint the first coat kind of sloppy, and then come back with a second coat, and it gives you like some some wear and tear on things. So, so with, you know, we talked a little bit about earlier, you know, you've probably made thousands, tens of thousands of, you know, value gear stowage. Yeah, at least. And, you know, the unique variety, but, you know, and I kind of talked about this with, at Nats with you, if if you kind of had to pick one set or, or one item that just sticks out and you're like, that's my favorite, what would it be? You know, um, like each set's kind of got a piece. Like, I, I mean, I cast every single set, I package every single set. And so every set has like at least a piece or two that I can recognize. So if I saw like the set dumped out on the ground, I could tell you what set it was by identifying one or two pieces that I really like in each one. I I can attest to that because I showed you my Easy 8 Sherman that I brought to Nats. Uh And you looked at the stove and you're like, oh, that's set uh, whatever. And I was like, yeah, that's that's exactly what what it is. And, and, you know, I mean, I'm. I see every single piece, you know, I mean, I, I touch every single piece, you know, sometimes I can remember making them for sure. So, you know, talking about making sets, I'm curious, you got connected with Asuka. How, how did, and and the owner of Asuka, if I'm not mistaken, how, how did that connection happen? Well, uh, this guy, John was doing some research for him on different things and, um, you know, he'd come up with a good idea and they'd, he'd work John Hale, right? Yeah. John Hale. God, John Hale out of Ohio. Yep. Yeah. Ohio. I haven't, I haven't seen anything from him in so long. I've been meaning to just call him up, but yeah, he's super, super nice guy. But so, you know, he wanted to do like a Thunderbolt seven, you know, and he talked to Asuka about it and they were like, yeah, let's do it. And then, so John made up a, some masters for, you know, the, the armor, the extra armor for the Thunderbolt seven. And then I, you know, I wound up casting it and then, we did another one. There was a China Clipper, which is, you know, just a, I don't think it was a Marine tank, I guess an army, the army, um, for the Pacific. And we did that, did another one. There's, there's been, there's been several, but they're, you know, they're just not, it's just not something that's continuous, you know, 
And I, you know, I think if I was an idea man, I'd probably come up with ideas and they'd be into it, but I'm not, I'm just not a, I'm not a researcher. I'm not an idea man. I'm just, uh, I just kind of make what I feel at the time. You're having fun, man. Yeah, I am having fun. And there's a lot of things I won't cast because they would make it not fun. You know, people are like, oh, you need to do this, you know? And it's like, no, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I don't want to make a really complex two-part mold to make this flimsy ass cover for a deuce and a half truck because it's, you know, first off, the failure rate is going to be higher because it's, it's, you know, it's thin and it's a pain in the ass. And secondly, the postman's going to crush it before it even gets to you. So why bother? You know, I just don't, uh, I, you know, I try to make things, I, I, I think them through before I even make the molds. You know, I try to get rid of undercuts. I try to plan, you know, I might throw an extra tarp, you know, or, or, you know, a little flap of tarp or something over something so that it makes it an easier cast. You know, I just don't like having trouble. I don't like having failure. You know, it, it just, uh, keep it fun or do something else. I've already been the other yeah. route, you know, I mean, I've been the, you know, had the print shop with the 25 people working there and the, the constant phones ringing and, you know, just problems and having to do somebody's job because they're sick or they're out or they're hung over. You know, I don't <laughs> want any of that. It's kind of why I'm so stuck on working all by myself all the time. No, that's completely understandable. So Steve, where do you see value gear going? Where's it going to be in five years? I haven't, it'll still be in my garage right here because I don't think I ever want to move this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty entrenched in this two car garage now. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm kind of, you know, there's 26 sets of universal tarp rolls of all shapes and sizes. You know what I mean? So I kind of need to move towards some different stuff. And, you know, I've always had ideas like I wanted to do, uh, you know, pick up all this weird stuff and I, I collect a lot of strange things that I find, you know, I've got all these little mocked up, like, sci-fi landing zone lights you know like something there might be around a landing pad and i just weird tapered cylinders and you know i, I kind of want to make a lot more sci-fi stuff you know it seems uh i don't know yeah just i guess i'll just keep doing what i'm doing i don't know i i, I don't think that far ahead i would love to see you do like uh some sci-fi stuff you know like uh you know like in star wars um on all those landing pads there's all these little droids and pieces of equipment and machinery i mean you know the the thing i think that makes so many people relate to a lot of science fiction is it looks very armor like you know it looks very like things that we see around us you know it's used and rusty and chipped and all that kind of stuff right and 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 that's you know i i I try to make the you know, the wooden crates and and the universal generic stuff. I mean, I've seen it on everything from a railroad to a model car to um, a Forge World troop transport for war gaming, you know, just the top of it just covered with stowage. You know, I think it's cool to see everybody using it for different things. I want people to, I want to give people building bits, you know, bits to build with, not here's your, here's what you're going to build. I don't, I don't like that. I don't tell people how to build models. You know, I mean, even the, the Sherman sets, you know, like it's a Sherman set, it's a deck piece, but then where everybody puts all the other stuff that, you know, for the picture that's in their head, you know, I love seeing that. That's a great perspective. I mean, you're, you're empowering people's vision and you're trying hard not to step on them in the process. That's really great. Um, so we ask a lot of our guests, um, 
if you could have a magnum opus built, if you could do a, you know, a model that you've always kind of wanted to do and scale doesn't matter, just what would it be? What would be like your ultimate Steve Munsell build? Uh, that to me, M18 Hellcat. It's my favorite tank. I'm so excited about that. It's yeah. a good choice. I, I yeah, I like it. I I think it's a fantastic tank, and that's that's one that's been absolutely overlooked in the, you know, the, by the model companies for years and years and years. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I mean, we have two of them, and they both suck in completely different ways. So yeah, yeah. Who makes the other one? I I, I have the Academy, an AFE club, but it's it's one of their really really old ones, and it just had a lot of issues with it. Issues don't bother me. I'll just cover it with stowage. <laughs> it's, 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 the reason I love stowage so much is because I hate decals. I just want to cover it all up. Oh, we could do it. We could do two hours on how much I hate decals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I've looked at tutorials and I just, I don't know. It's just one of those things I just, I, I understand how they're made. I've screen printed them before, you know, for other people. You know, I've made decals. I understand the lacquer and the, you know all the art and how to do it and and uh but yeah just getting them on a model and making them look good have you have you considered smaller scale stowage because i can tell you as someone that that collects and plays one 15 millimeter yeah one 100 yeah there is almost no stowage bits available uh for any that, that maybe one company out of the uk and it's all cast white metal and expensive they're yeah. and they're also they're okay but not something i would chase after i i have thought about that and i've got an, an entire i use these little plastic bowls that are all over i mean i got hundreds of them that i i sort sets into before i package and there's one of them that is full of little rolls for one 100 that i just haven't done anything with yet and i actually bought I don't know, whatever the company is, there's a plastics injection mold company that makes a bunch of that little stuff too. There's a couple of them. Okay. There's battle battlefront. They make flames of war. There's plastic soldier company. They make 15 millimeter scale. Yeah. Plastic soldier company. I've bought, I bought a bunch of those, um, Stugs and Sherman's. Um, so, so it is something I plan on doing. I mean, I got a list of stuff to do a mile long because I, that I could tell you would you would you would sell those okay. because I know just talking like in the Facebook groups, there's no stowage available, and like the kits, like some of the Battlefront ones, they come with like one box or a spare road wheel for a Sherman, right? And like that's it. Gotcha. And I can send you some pictures of mine. I've done the best with what I can, what's in the box, but it's like how many times can you put a road wheel on a Sherman? Right. right. And you may have. 15 Shermans on the table at any time and it, there's no variety and it's just it's okay. not that lame because right. they're so cool but it's like you know, as someone you know especially because the one of the main target audiences for these games are uh, nerds right that are like obsessed with whatever you know right. whatever pick an army right. you know pick a tank and they know all about you know and they want like specific looking stuff right and i I, yeah i I think that would be that would be successful because people love i mean as you know people love 
sticking stuff on their tanks. Well, typically what I do is like, you know, if I go, okay, I'm going to do this, this scale, or I'm going to make some new stuff for this. And it's part of the reason I always have like three or four sets. Like, like for instance, some super cool dude on a forum buys like a set and then he puts it on a tank and everybody goes, Oh shit, I need that set. And you know, I got 20 guys ordering the exact same set on, on a day. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? Because there's 25 other sets that are similar, but different. And they were all made like at the same time, typically. So like I sit down and I'll, I'll make like hundreds of bits, you know, and then I'll sort it into like, you know, three or four sets or whatever. Probably, you know, with the one 100, I, I think the problem is I just I'm not sure I want to sit here and glue down like 200 pieces into a little box to make a mold. It's going to be, yeah, it's, I mean. it has a lot, a lot of little pieces. <laughs> You know, it's definitely it's definitely something that that's been in the works. You know, and when you started out, when you said, "Have you thought about doing?" My, my friend Pat in Dublin, me and him, like we 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 have so much fun with that because people are always like, "You should do this, you should do that." It's like, why should I do that? Somebody else is already doing that. I should do something different than what they're doing. You know, like why why copy people? You know, it's like there's there's plenty of business for everybody out there. But me and Pat will always be like, "Have you thought about doing the?" Uh, 1937 sardine crates you know or you know this <laughs> from the shoestring factory and you know this little town and this little place that nobody's ever heard of you know it's like no i haven't thought about doing that so, but you know everybody's got their own you know the hobby's different to everybody and everybody's got their own sort of you know idea in their head and you know sometimes they're not happy with the idea i had in my head you know like this is how i see it uh, you know, it takes all kinds, man. It's such a diverse hobby. I mean, I had a guy one time that uh, returned a set of crates. You know, he he just said, uh, you know what? These these just don't look right with my cowboy and Indian toys. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what are what are those? Like, I don't even I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, like, you know. But he sent me a picture and these giant plastic cowboys and Indians. And, okay, <laughs> all right, that's your thing. Have at it. I'll I'll send you some pictures of the one one hundred so you can see it. Just, just see kind of what I, what I, I mean, it's mostly just like little rolls, but there ain't much detail I can do on that. I can't see that good. So, hey, hey, Steve, thanks so much for not only taking time in this, in this segment for our Modelers Minute, but, you know, sitting with us for this episode, it's been really great to get to know you more. I know we'd be, I think we all became best friends when we were in Vegas and we were super happy to get you on here. It's been great to learn about yourself value gear and, and your support towards the hobby and our group build. So we certainly appreciate it. And we hope you stop back again sometime soon. Yeah. And th- thank you guys. I mean, especially at Nats. I mean, it was, uh, it was awesome to have some people to hang out with. Otherwise I would have been just wandering around by myself all the time, man. It was great. It was awesome uh, being in the booth with you and hanging out. And we look forward to it again in Omaha. Hopefully fingers crossed. I hope you can make something work. Uh, if not, we can carry the value gear banner and maybe even set up a table in your honor and uh, sell your wares. All right. Yeah, we'll we'll figure something out. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna work hard on that problem and see what what comes out of it. So, so again, Steve, thanks so much, and and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. See you guys. All right. As always, you can leave us feedback about this or any other episode of our show over at our Plastic Posse Podcast Facebook page or. You can email us at plasticpossipodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our 
Awesome Posse supporters once again, and give another shout out to our two awesome sponsors, Tankcraft and Sean's Custom Model Tools. And remember, there is no wrong way to enjoy your hobby. That's right, TJ. Thanks again to all of you out in the Posse for joining us for episode 31. I wanted to take another moment and thank all of you out there in the Posse for all of the tremendously positive feedback that we received from episode 30 specifically with regards to the topics of anxiety and modeling. It really takes courage to discuss these challenges openly, and the Posse stepped up to discuss this difficult issue in a positive manner. Thank you for sharing all of your uh, own personal stories with us. We're going to continue to address this difficult topic, and we want all of you to know that we are all here for each other, and we're here for you if you need us. On a related note, we'll be back in two weeks with an exclusive interview with Graham Pearson. He's a UK modeler. He's one of Ivan's buddies, and he's also a former member of the Scale Model Shed podcast. And besides uh, being buddies with Ivan, in our interview, Graham also discusses his own personal challenges and also how modeling has helped him deal with these issues. So until then, we hope everybody out there spends some time at their own benches and has some fun doing the best hobby that there is. Guys, we'll see you in two weeks. Yeehaw! Nice. That was good. That was good.